audio interview with researcher Preston Dennett, recorded Sunday, May 27, 2012. This is a long interview, and I won't waste your time up front with too much of an introduction. I will say that Preston Dennett is a very prolific author who has written a bunch of books on the subject of UFOs, as well as some more uh, peripheral subjects like uh, outer body experiences and Bigfoot. Um, uh, in the show notes, there is a link to his Amazon page, which lists all his written works. The reason I wanted to interview Preston, I hadn't read any of his books, was that I had heard him on uh, a few audio interviews, and I always was a little bit um, uh, intrigued uh, and partially, in some way, he reminded me of myself. And I always got the feeling that in his audio interviews that he wasn't allowed to really share uh, the depth of what his research, uh, what he had learned from his own research. So uh, that was kind of my goal when I went into this. And I could not have been more delighted and more pleased with the way this interview turned out. Uh, he's a sweet, soft-spoken guy, and we managed, in my opinion anyway, we managed to dig a little deeper into the complexities and the strangeness of the abduction lore. This interview is two and one-half hours long, which is a long time, and I did something which I almost never do. I didn't edit it at all. So you get to hear my uh, mumbling voice in all its glory. And uh, I also did something which I'll do sometimes. Um, you hear uh, Preston pick up the phone and you hear us start in the conversation right away. Um, today is Sunday and yesterday, Saturday, I had a very brief maybe five-minute conversation with, with him as we arranged the time for the interview today. And I just thought that our dialogue at the beginning there, after he picked up the phone, um, sort of set a tone for the rest of the uh, conversation. And I just decided to leave it in, so you will get to hear that, and you will get to hear me do um, what would be the normal intro to this uh, podcast format that I do pretty much each and every time. You hear that, I don't know, maybe two minutes in. So I just left that in there. I thought, I thought it gave a good uh, insight into who Preston is. I won't waste any more time here. The interview certainly speaks for itself. Please enjoy. Hello. Good afternoon, Preston. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Doing very well. I just made a cup of coffee. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, it was good to talk to you yesterday. I like doing that, just having a conversation ahead of time before doing an interview. It helps me anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, me too, definitely. Good, good. and um, hey, you, so you reviewed some of the information that um, I had on my site? I did, yeah. Well, not all of it. It's, there's quite a bit on there. Yeah, yeah, it's but, pretty uh, dense, yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, listen to any of the uh, interviews you've done, but uh, I did, you know, read your timeline and uh, some of the stuff you had connected to that. And what was your sense of that? Um, interesting. You know, I see some of familiarities there, you know, stuff that I've heard before and experienced before. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's odd I know because what you're I... About. Pardon? I know what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, yeah. As, as far as these uh, synchronicities. Yeah, it's been interesting because I feel like I have... Um, 
uh, I didn't have enough like memories or so when I initially started looking into this, but the act of looking into it sort of created this, uh, um, you know, like the floodgates got opened and I just got, you know, slammed with all these synchronicities and it, it forced me to conclude that, um, some of the things that I had speculated on and wondered about in my previous, you know, in my youth and such, and experiences that I thought, you know, maybe felt dreamlike, I was forced to uh, conclude that something more intense had gone on because of the synchronicities. Right, right. Definitely there's some sort of something going on behind the scenes that uh, yeah. we're not quite seeing. Yeah, and that's and that's pretty much what I want to um, address here, that that. that that extra layer that seems to be hidden until you until you start digging. You don't even have to dig that much. It seems like you just dig a little bit, and all of a sudden these odd uh, stories come up. All right. Yeah. Well, that's true. Not only for myself, but with the people I've interviewed. You know, all the other experiencers. Yeah. So uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. Good. So what I'll do is um. You know, if you need a break, I edit these uh, afterwards. So if you sneeze or need to get a drink of water or anything like that, just speak up, and um, and I, I'll, I'll clean that up so it sounds like a nice linear, smooth conversation uh, when we play it back. Sometimes I will ask extremely long questions that kind of go around the block a few times, and then during the editing process, I'll clean those up a little bit so I sound a little uh, more succinct. Um, any questions or anything? Uh, no, no. Great. I'm and we can go anytime. We can roll right into it. Here's how I start every interview. I'll just say thank you to you, and then and then that's kind of the introduction. So so here we'll go. Three, two, one. Preston, I, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It it means a lot to me. Oh, thank you, Mike. I'm grateful for the opportunity and uh, eager to talk about this subject. Uh, you know, I've got a lot to say, and uh, I think it's very important subject. I agree. I feel I feel it is a very important subject. Now, the focus of what I want to uh, explore um, during our time here is the abduction phenomena. And, and more than just the, the simple definition that I think anyone, um, I feel like you could just, you know, turn to anyone on any street corner and ask them to define the UFO abduction phenomena, and they would probably say things like, you know, oh, blue lights, you know, taken from your sleep, um, you know, examination tables, super scary. And I, and I think that's part of our popular culture at this point, that very simplistic story. Um, all the elements in that story, I feel, are true um, and borne out by, the, by what people's reports are, but there's something going on below the the waterline there's something going on that that is more complex and um and that's what i want to focus on in this discussion all right yeah well definitely you know i came to this subject very skeptical and uh did not believe any of these stories at all even though i'd heard of it now and then on tv on the news and various sort of uh paranormal shows wasn't until 1986 I heard a sighting on the news in Alaska, and uh, this was by a pilot who saw a UFO following his plane. This was caught on radar as well, uh, but it was a very tongue-in-cheek news report, and I didn't believe it. But I made the mistake of asking my family, my friends, my coworkers what they thought of this crazy pilot, and uh, that's when I got a real shock. I found out that I knew many people within my own circle of family and friends. People I had known for years, 
and I knew you were not lying to me, who had had very close encounters. So it hit home for me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt almost scandalized, really, because um, I'd never been taught this subject. I, I thought if aliens were visiting our planet, I would have known by this point. So uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was not good news, and I did not want to investigate the subject, but I was kind of dragged into the whole field kicking and screaming and uh, became obsessed with it. And when you say obsessed with it, you know, can you define that? Uh, this is something I'm sympathetic to because I feel like I've become more than a little bit obsessed about the subject. Right. You know, I, you know, I still have trouble trying to figure out why I am so obsessed with it, to be perfectly honest, because, uh, you know, I've examined my whole childhood history. I haven't really had anything that I can point to that says I'm having experiences, at least not until I started investigating it. Now, mind you now, yes, there's a lot of activity in my life as far as UFOs. But, uh, so, I don't know exactly. I just, I can't let this subject go. I just can't let it go for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And I wonder if, like, people studying, you know, like, uh, Oh, you know, honeybees, or if there's people who are studying, you know, the migration pattern of caribou, if they get equally as obsessed about the subject that they're studying, um, I have, I, I, they certainly could, but I, I do certainly sense that this subject in particular has a quality to it that seems to just, you know, latch its claws into the, into the researcher. I, I agree, and to the witness, I can't tell you how many, you know, people I've interviewed and you know, research their whole experience or cases or their abduction cases who are just crazy about getting the word out of what happened to them and uh, you know, insisting on writing a book or going on radio or doing whatever they have to do to tell this, their story. So it, there is definitely something to this, uh, what you're saying, this weird quality. Yeah, and when you say getting the word out, you're talking about people who, who are... Um uh, you know, would have been, I guess, Joe Normal and, and just going about their life, had an experience and then suddenly thrust into the role of, of um, I don't want to say zealot, I mean, that sort of, you know, pictures the crazy guy standing on the corner screaming the end is near, but more that they're so consumed that they that they then uh, start sharing their story publicly and... and Yeah, I, 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 almost as if they're a reluctant ambassador to, you know, <laughs> announcing that the aliens are here. I'm writing um, that down. I think down. there's sort of a grassroots movement on the part of the ETs almost to just go to the common person on the street and say, and show themselves, put on a little display. And that's what they seem to do in a lot of cases, actually, deliberately show themselves to witnesses and then just take off. It's an odd type of behavior. Um, you know, for, for any entity to do that, just kind of show up and then leave. I just wrote down the term reluctant ambassador because that, that's actually a very good uh, definition because I've also seen that in people who, who um, you know, are coming forward. I almost want to say, you know, the, compelled is a word that shows up in the dictionary or impelled actually almost has the same definition, but that, that sense of being compelled to come forward or maybe even compelled to pursue that research. The implication in that vocabulary word, if you look it up in the dictionary, is is that there is a, a source, uh, an irrational source or, or an outside source that makes one, um, you know, proceed forward. 
Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. The more I've gotten involved in this whole research, I feel like the ETs are putting are much more uh, pervasive in society than we realize, and that they're kind of influencing and orchestrating events to an extent where uh, they'll, in my case, they'll hook me up with UFO witnesses in just bizarre ways, and which is just so unbelievable. I mean, it, it just it's beyond coincidence. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Ooh, can you give me an example? This is this is your your parroting my own my own set of experiences. But can you just give me an example? Well, well certainly. You know, I, when I when I first got involved in this field, the first shock was uh, you know finding that I had so many abductees within my fa- circle of family and friends. And uh, what happened was I, I read a quote by J. Allen Hynek which said that there are one in 40 people have had an onboard UFO experience. And I thought to myself, well, well no, that's way, way too much. You know, there, there's just no way because I know 40 people. I'm certain I do. And so I asked everybody. And, you know, I didn't have to ask 40 people before I found five people who I had known for, you know, quite a, some time who had had either a face-to-face experience or an onboard UFO experience. And, and that, to me, was almost beyond coincidence or either that or this is truly a a pervasive you know and very widespread phenomenon abductions so it's hard to say but uh, since then you know i would have uh people who are hired at my office i work as a bookkeeper during the day and uh, they would be an abductee and i can't tell you how many times that's happened just people showing up like for a temporary position right and uh, other cases where i where i just be walking you know god i could i wish i could give you a specific example but just literally walking down the street and uh, the subject of ufos comes up and it's something i don't even know <laughs> or you know there were there would be times i'd looked down at my shirt to see if i have the word ufo on it or you know am i wearing anything that makes people bring this subject up to me but uh no it would just come to me in weird, magical ways. That is so... Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I have the same experience. And, and presently now, you're doing research and writing books, and your name is out there, so you must get people contacting you, you know, through through either written letters or emails or telephone calls that, um, you know, obviously have found you and want to ask you a question. Or um, so, so that, you know, I understand where that source is, but, you know, we're talking about a different source. Um and I've been doing this. No, I, okay, go on. No, I, I absolutely agree. It's it's not just that. I mean, more recently, I have been getting a lot of emails and things like that. But uh, starting up this research, it was just bizarre the way people would come to me. I'm just out of the blue. Yeah. And, uh, even 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 now, you know, I, I'm putting together another book which is, I think, going to change the way people look at the whole UFO abduction phenomenon. And uh, I've had so many people contact me with um, these kind of unusual stories, which are not your typical abduction by gray-type e- ETs. And, uh, and they all came very quickly, one after another. And I honestly feel, you know, when I ever start lagging in my writing, um, the ETs will push me forward because I'll have a sighting. It's as if they're like, right, 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 get the, get the word out. And uh, I know how that sounds, but 
um, that's the way I feel. And, and whenever, you know, if I don't write this, this UFO stuff for a couple of months, I, I will, or, you know, a little longer, I, I will have a sighting. And when you say sighting, are you are you talking about little teeny dots way off in the distance in the sky? Um, no, not always. Um, I've had probably ten or fifteen sightings of various types, and uh, I remember probably the first one. Well, it was the second one actually. The first one was another story, which I, I'm not going to tell you that one too, but. The, the, one that kind of really shocked me, and I didn't talk about it for years, and I'm not exactly sure why, was uh, I had been with my brother and sister-in-law, and we were discussing UFOs all night. This was very early into my investigations, the first few months. So I this would have been the late 1980s? Yeah, in like 1986, maybe early 1987, and uh, is when I got really heavily involved in the... It was very upsetting to me, and I was discussing... I had read all the books, I had joined every UFO group... I was going to UFO sites, talking to witnesses, and uh, recording their interviews, and just trying to deal with the subject. And uh, I was driving home. Uh, I had left their house, and I was driving home when uh, this ball of light came swooping down out of the sky. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, look at this bird. It's, there's a glowing bird, and it's coming towards my car. And uh, it, it came and hovered right in front of the windshield. And this was at night, and I thought, well, you know, this is not a bird. It looks more like a golf ball to me. And I, and I looked at it real closely to, you know, ensure that I wasn't seeing a reflection. Because, you know, I thought perhaps that's what it was. But it wasn't, because it moved back and forth in front of the windshield maybe two times. And it was about the size of a golf ball, glowing. And then it kind of took off straight forward, swooped down a little bit and went right up through the canopy of the trees straight up and into the sky and disappeared and you know I didn't talk about it I didn't tell anyone and honestly I didn't even think about it I put it out of my mind which I attribute to the ETs I can't tell you how many times witnesses have told me that so that was my first really weird personal sighting and that's fascinating because that is not, you know, I mean, if, if we went through our pop culture knowledge, you know, if you wanted to lie, let's put it that way, and create a story about seeing a UFO, you would have told about seeing a metallic disc that, you know, you know hovered and, and had all the classic, uh, you know, uh, trappings of, of the modern UFO report. And that's not what you, you had. You had something, you know, extremely unusual. And I'll also add that I have had that same experience where I've had a, what amounted to a very profound sighting and then completely put it out of my mind um, and, and denied it, you know, so aggressively that, that it, it kind of shocks me in, in, uh, in retrospect, you know, how I treated that sighting. Um, yeah, this would have been... You know, this would have been... To, oh, keep going. I think that... The way we're putting this out of our mind, I don't think that's us doing it. I think that's, I attribute that to the ETs. Because it seems just so, there's not that type of putting it out of our mind in any other type of incident except maybe, you know, child abuse or war bombing. And these sightings are not traumatic in that way. You know what I mean? They're exciting, they're interesting, they're, they can be a little scary, but I don't think they're violent events. Exactly. So it's, so why are we putting them out of our minds? It's, 
it, it points to what I think this ET intervention in our lives, which is really strong, much stronger than people realize. And the implications to that, uh, you know, that they're the the. You know, our lives, I mean, I almost say when you say our lives, I, I almost see, see the collective. I see, like, our entire society being, being, um, you know, I guess mind-controlled in a way to, um, to th- how to say this, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fictional version of the E.T. event, you know, in movies and, and TV shows and such. And then there's the, 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 the events that get reported by sincere, credible witnesses. And, um, you know, both of those are happening at the same time. And I think both of those feed off each other. But um, I, I feel like all of us, you know, in our society have that knowledge of the, of the TV version, of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind version. And what's right. happening is it's being, you know, both of these things are happening simultaneously where these uh, events are feeding into each other. Um, and I don't know what the, you know, the thought is. I mean, if we, if we go further down the, the, um, the, uh, the path, you know, the timeline into the future, you know, I, you know, I could speculate on what it might mean, but, but you know, I don't know what that would serve. But it is very uh, curious because what I sense is happening now is that people are um, no longer so quick to deny. They're no longer so quick to put it out of their mind. They are coming forward uh, in, a, in a way that, that um, I see as a pattern, you know, happening present day. Well, I think, yeah, I think that we're, the ETs are not going to go away. I don't think, and there's, you know, even the various types that there are, all of them seem to show a really strong interest in humanity. And uh, certainly, I think that there's been sort of an escalation of contact. If you look back throughout history, we don't have anything like the awareness of it that we have now, for one thing. And uh, the kind of UFO superwaves that we've had since you know, 1947 at least, and continue to appear over various cities, whether it's Phoenix or Gulf Breeze or Hudson Valley or Topanga Canyon. And I think what we're leading towards is inevitable, and that would be the uh, end of the government cover-up and a sort of a more open official contact with ETs to the point where it's part of normal everyday life and it's not unusual, it's not paranormal. And uh, it's something we have to deal with now as humanity is the fact that we're not the only ones out there. I just don't see how it can go in any other way than, you know, the ETs eventually showing themselves, saying, here we are. And, and um, you know, Whitley Strieber wrote about that same event, you know, the coming disclosure. And he, he basically said that the disclosure won't take place um and obviously he's only speculating, but it was a very interesting way to put it, where that instead of, uh, like, uh, a series of metal crafts, you know, hovering above, you know, the world's major cities, like we see in a television show like V, um, what will instead happen is that there will be a wall lifted or a veil lifted that that's, you know, that's presently in place that separates their world from our world. And um, they will instead, you know basically just start appearing through our walls you know they'll just start walking into our bedrooms uh, in a way with that with that veil gone um which is a much spookier um way to look at the future than than just a bunch of giant metal spaceships um you know showing up 
in a way that you know sounds like science fiction. Right. Well, I suspect, and this is you know what a lot of abductees have told me that we have ETs living among us in human form, and not when, and when I say human form, I mean essentially human, because we have a lot of ET reports of human ETs. So, which which really speaks to our own genetic heritage and uh, you know human origins for that matter. I don't think we necessarily evolved on this planet in the way that we think we did, at least. I think it's pretty clear. And this has really bothered me about uh, UFO research for years, is that uh, we're related to ETs. Because look at even the greys have two eyes, you know, a nose, a mouth, ears. They're basically humanoid. And the humanoid form seems to be the norm in these cases. And as I said, with ETs that look exactly like us, I mean, clearly there are ETs among us. And when I wrote uh, the book UFOs Over California, I uncovered cases like that. And uh, then in UFOs Over New York, there were several cases of ETs walking among us in the general population. Oh, so, can you, can you yeah. give an example from one of the books? Um, certainly. Um, well, let me, let me think of a, a good one. I mean, uh, Tim, Timothy Good, he's a, a renowned researcher. He suspected that there were human ETs living among us, and he put out a telepathic communication at a restaurant, and uh, there's a very unusual-looking guy, normal pretty much, but sat down next to him and uh, responded to Timothy Good's telepathic signals. That's one story. And, and you know, this was the story where he literally said, you know, like, if you are an ET, touch your finger to your nose. Right. And, he's in, and the next thing the fellow did was put his finger on his nose. I think that was exactly it. Yeah. And uh, I know that might not convince a skeptic, but there I can march out other cases where people have you know, seen uh, ETs where they should not be seen. One lady described seeing one at uh, Penn Station, you know, the train station in New York City. And everyone seemed to be ignoring it. But this was not a human being, she said. Oh, she could see it. And as she's walking by it, it turned and looked at her. Now, this is one of those weird cases where ETs can make themselves visible to one person and invisible to others, which certainly you know, does occur. There's a story in, in England from, I think, from like the last couple of years where a man described a you know, curious woman in an odd dress with giant eyes sort of walking down the street on a busy uh, shopping area in, in a little small town in England where, you know, he basically described her, you know, almost dancing with glee in this funny sort of penguin walk. Um, and and she was obviously not human, and nobody paid any attention to her except him. Right. Oh, and here's another case, which is hooked with up Whitley Strieber, um, which was in one of his books as well. There was the editor of it. Whitley Strieber's book went to the bookstore to see how the book was doing. And uh, there was these two people standing in front of the book, speed reading it. And he said that they were very unusual. And uh, this story got out by accident. He didn't want to talk pub- publicly, the witness. And he said these people were short and were bundled up and wearing big sunglasses and uh, speed reading this book. And uh, he said they were not human. They turned around and looked at him and they were in disguise, basically, but they were not human. And uh, he, he got out of there as quick as he could. 
and I remember, if I remember the story correctly, it shows up in the original communion as well as in the um, the follow up book that Whitley just published within the last few months. Here, the um, the follow up to the communion book, um, the they were actually saying, um, like, oh, he got this wrong. Oh, he got this wrong too. Right, right. And I, there's other cases. John Salter, who I mean, John Hunter Gray is his name now. Very famous abductee from a. Wisconsin, who was, was healed as a result of his encounters. Before they were abducted, he and his son, they stopped at a gas station, and there was a small being there, all bundled up, and uh, it was not human, and it was looking at them, and it was walking around right there, daytime, right next to their car. And uh, so there are a lot of cases. Shane Kurz, an abductee uh, from New York, whose case was investigated by Hans Holzer. Same thing. She had someone who approached her on the school playground and asked her all these questions, and she described them as like very pale skin, you know, very odd-looking, talked strangely, and uh, tried to get her to go out into the field to take a ride in his white car, is what he said. And, uh, so, and she later saw him aboard a UFO when she was abducted. So these guys are walking around among us. There, there is a story. Um, are you familiar with um, uh, Elaine Douglas? Oh yeah, sure. So, Operation Right to Know. Yeah, so she's out of um, Utah, and she has a journal called Jar, a Journal of Abduction Research. And there was a story in that that I think she wrote. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but it was of a um, uh, a young man who had sort of gone through the filtering. Uh, process out of college. I think I'm getting this right. I probably get some of the details incorrect. Where he was going to um, uh, have a job interview at the CIA, and he was also an abductee, so he had 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 abduction experiences in his life. Um, and then at the same time, he was pursuing a career at the CIA. So he went to an interview and was basically in a closed office, and in walks, you know for all intent and purpose, uh, a, a, an alien, you know, um, not quite the the classic gray, but more, you know, what we would say a hybrid somewhere between the classic gray and a present human stat- status, and sat down in the room and then asked him questions. And he said he was absolutely completely freaked out, didn't know what was going on, um, wow. and then left the interview. Uh, um, and if I remember the story correctly, he did not get the job at the CIA, but the, you know, the, the thought that, you know, a, a fellow with already, uh, established or conscious, uh, set of experiences that would, you know, be the abduction experience meeting, uh, a, an alien at a job interview in the CIA offices is, you know, that's the stuff of, I mean, that's like right out of the X-Files as far as like a plot point. You know what I mean? That's, that's pretty yeah, strange. That is strange because, you know, I was contacted by a gentleman who had a similar experience who's had a, a childhood abduction that was really, really remarkable. Um, he was out playing with his friends and uh, there was a landed UFO and uh, everyone was afraid to approach it except him. And uh, or, or for somehow he was the only one who went up to this thing and actually walked inside it and uh, had this whole experience and uh, which started a lifetime of contact and uh, he ended up becoming a soldier in the army and same thing they brought him to meet a repti- reptilian or kind of a quasi reptilian humanoid 
um, which was working with these uh, soldiers. So uh, it was a bizarre experience for him, and uh, basically what it amounted to was uh, they wanted to see how he would react to the presence of this ET. Yeah, yeah, and that is, that's my sense, the way that story played out, is that they were monitoring the fellow at the job interview um, to see his reaction. Yeah, so, which points to the fact that, you know, not, we've already been, quote, invaded, if you want to put it that way, because, I mean, if our military is working that closely with these ETs, or, you know, some aspect of humanity already is living with ETs on our planet. So uh, contact is, you know, open official contact has kind of already been made in a way. It's just people aren't aware of it. Yes, and, and that really, I mean, I've been looking at this for a long time. I've read plenty of books. I've read plenty of accounts. I've talked to people who share those stories, and I still am challenged by that aspect of the whole story. You know, I kind of grit my teeth, and I, I, can, I can feel myself fighting that aspect of, of this story just because it, it seems like there's a, there's a line where I'm just not comfortable crossing. You know, it may very well be true, um, but I... Um, you know, I, I listen to those stories, and I'm always extremely skeptical of of what the source is. You know, is there some sort of? I mean, earlier, and you you use the term orchestrated events. You know, and and if these entities have the ability to uh, manipulate and and control our, you know, what we experience, like with um, uh, oh, like creating almost virtual reality scenarios. You know, I almost wonder what, you know, like it's, it gets very difficult to, to truly understand what might be happening. Right. Well, we know that they have incredible abilities because, I mean, the William Foster abduction in North Carolina, he wrote a book about it, The Triangle Abduction. He found out through a police friend that all the police radios for like a 40 or 50 or maybe it was even more mile radius uh, went off the night of his abductions would not work. The entire radio network completely failed, and they could not figure out why. And Bud Hopkins has a, a case where the entire neighborhood was basically switched off as this one lady was abducted. And Dolores Cannon talks about a case where she investigated where the entire freeway stopped. The aliens basically stopped time. It appeared to the witness as uh, they abducted her. And certainly I've got cases of that same type of thing where super powerful manipulation or um, like even involving my sister for one thing aliens seem to love newborn babies and pregnant women my sister had just had her baby and uh, she was had just gotten home and uh, these strange lights showed up outside her window and this was in Topanga Canyon during this whole wave of sightings that was going on in the canyon and uh she turned to her husband, and he would not wake up. She could not get him to wake up, which is very unusual. You can pretty much always wake somebody up. And uh, she looked outside, and all the other houses that normally have their lights on, the lights were off. It was as if nobody was around. And uh, she became, you know, a little bit frightened. And uh, these lights returned, you know, like two or three nights in a row. And uh, But what's bizarre is this alien manipulation... <laughs> that's going on, you know, around this whole abduction phenomena. I think they're very, very much in control of the situation. 
yeah, earlier in the story, you said you're working on a book on abductions, and you kind of alluded that this will redefine how we, we see the experience. Yeah, you know, because I think people when, people, when people think of abduction, for those who know anything about it, they think of, oh, well, great type ETs, they take you up into a ship, they strip you, they give you an anal probe, take your genetic material, examine you, and send you on your way without, you know, only hazy memories, if any. And that's not what I found. You know, because I've been talking to an awful lot of people and just basically taking each story and uh, analyzing it, and uh, I'm getting a lot more cases of uh, human-like ETs, a lot more cases of friendly-type experiences, and uh, even cases where people are not necessarily even being taken into a UFO, but into underground areas and just very unusual experiences. And Like, here's one. This is just not your typical abduction experience. And uh, it occurred to a guy named uh, Kevin Cannon. And by one of those weird synchronicities, his brother was also an abductee who who did have a typical gray-type abduction where he was examined by gray-type ETs. But that's not what happened to Kevin. Kevin was a medical corpsman on a ship in the Navy. And... His friend, who was assigned to his cabin, um, told him one day that he had been having abduction experiences since he was a little boy, and that the ETs had not only been abducting him onto their ships, but had taken him to their planet and so on. And Kevin's like, well, I don't believe a word of what you're saying. You know, you're a good friend, but I don't believe you. I, it's, this is really real. I'd love to see you know these ETs and go right on their ship. And his friend... I'll call him John, said, I'm sure, I'll arrange it. So John came back, like, the next day and said, all right, Kevin, the ETs have agreed to sh- take you on this, on this ship. And mind you, they're on a Navy ship right now. <clears throat> and so uh, the next day, uh, John comes down to Kevin's cabin and says, all right, the ETs are here. Go up on deck, and they'll take you on the ship. And so Kevin goes up into the deck of this Navy ship, which, you know, has hundreds of soldiers on it. And uh, right up there in the sky is this huge diamond-shaped craft, which Kevin says is easily as big as their ship and extraordinarily beautiful and kind of prism-like. And the first thing Kevin does is start running around to find other witnesses to look at this thing. And no one will even look at him. He cannot get anyone's attention. That's as if he's invisible. So he's beginning to really freak out when suddenly he finds himself on the ship. And he goes through this extraordinary experience where uh, he's, he's terrified. He can't believe this is happening to him. But he's uh, taken to what appears to be another planet, and he's looking down at it, and he's like, well, this is all cratered. And he's thinking, God, this looks like the moon. They're flying, it looks like we're flying over the moon is what he's seeing you know, through this transparent wall of the craft. He, he can actually see through the wall of the craft. And uh, then, yep, it's the moon because he can see the Earth off in the distance as they rise up past the moon. And uh, to make a long story short, the ETs eventually started talking to him, and uh, he was afraid to turn around and look at them for quite a long time. So this whole conversation was just telepathic while he's looking at the wall. And... Uh, they described how uh, they 
they told him what they eat, which is like fruits and vegetables and things like this. They told him where they come from, and they created a star chart for him to look at, actually, which he says was holographic. And he said the room would change size as well as they talked to him. Sometimes it would appear to be a very small room. Other times the room would expand, which is another thing witnesses have told me occasionally. And uh, eventually he finally had the guts to turn around, and he turned around, and these were not gray-type ETs. He said these were 12 to 15-foot-tall praying mantis types. With Each eye was about as big as a basketball, and uh, they were definitely taller than, you know, your average basketball uh, hoop and backboard. So, uh, and they, they proceeded to tell him quite a few things that uh, they were, had worked with our different governments and uh, that they were monitoring our situation ever since we had exploded nuclear bombs, which they said was probably a mistake because it started a sort of a countdown of disasters. And they showed him all these various disasters that would occur on our planet as a result of having you know, caused climatic change from this nuclear testing that we've done. And uh, they showed him events that would happen in his own life, a motorcycle accident, which actually did end up occurring. And that's a very long scenario. I've skipped some of the details. But uh, they ended up returning him when he became overly frightened. As they, you know, when they started to touch him, he just could not handle it. And uh, they put him back into his cabin on the ship. That's where he appeared. And uh, he, he forgot a lot of this until one day... It was in his backyard, and a praying mantis landed on the flower next to him, or may maybe it had landed actually on him, and he looked at it, and all of this information came flooding back to him. He, he knew something had happened, and he remembered you know, that he had been taken on board. He just couldn't remember what had happened. So One of those weird stories, and I've got a lot of these, Mike, which are, n are not abductions by greys, but are rather much different stories yeah and that's that's what i'm finding also is that there's there's this there's a richness and a complexity to to these experiences that that we would never know um if we just followed the the pop culture you know version of it and here's a question so so someone like um barbara lamb um who's very soft-spoken very big-hearted uh you know, has uh, you know, is working with folks, and I and I feel like the work she does. You know that there's an overall positive effect. I feel like in her, though I've never sat in on. Well, I, I've sat in um, at conferences, but with her, let's say her support group. You know, I feel like there's a overwhelmingly positive vibe that that comes from that that group. Now, it, also, there's other researchers, and I'll use. Um, uh, David Jacobs as an example um, in his uh, you know the, the reports that are coming through from his research are, are profoundly negative and very scary and and don't have that good vibe at all to them you know there's something very sinister um, why do you think that there's like a divergence in in these reports is it the you know um, is there some filtering mechanism taking place by the researcher you know, that's such a good question, and uh, I wonder about that because um, I've certainly sat in on all different kinds of groups and felt that the exact 
had the same question that uh, you're asking now. And, uh, you know, that's hard to say. I think in some cases what we're dealing with initially with like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs was discovering the abduction phenomena and the people who were having negative experiences needed help and sought them out and fear sells in the media, fear draws attention and the news is pretty much purely negative because people, I'm not exactly sure why, but you know, people are drawn to fear or for whatever reason. It's a fear, there's a fear-based aspect to our culture and I think this is what um, initially kind of got the abduction phenomena noticed on a widespread la- level. People who were having positive experiences, on the other hand, didn't necessarily seek out help. And uh, so a lot of the whole contactee phenomena from the 50s, which was probably still going on, kind of went underground. Uh, people who were having contact with friendly human-like ETs became almost taboo. Um, which I now think there's a resurgence of that. And uh, I think to a certain extent, it is the prejudice of the researcher. I certainly don't want to cast aspersions on any researcher because I appreciate um, anyone who's putting effort to try and uncover the truth of what's going on. And I know people have negative experiences. Mm-hmm. But in, in my own uh, investigations, I always ask the people who are having experiences, do you think these aliens are evil? Are they hostile? And they, I cannot find a, a single one who says yes. They're evil, hostile, sadistic beings. They, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of evidence of torture or sadism on the ET's part. And I think that their behavior towards us mirrors our own in a lot of ways. It certainly falls under the human umbrella of behavior. Um, I think that in many ways humanity is more hostile than the ETs are. Yes. So, so uh, there's that whole aspect as well. So... Uh, Yikes, you know, it's a lot of the people I've talked to have had positive experiences. I wrote a book called UFO Healings, which uncovered, you know, a hundred cases of people who have actually been healed by ETs. And uh, I know people are having, you know, absolutely 100% friendly contacts. And I know people who have had very scary abductions who moved beyond that and were given a freedom of movement during their abductions, which evolved into being taught some amazing spiritual stuff. And let me just end with this. Robert Ballard, he did this study of 300-odd UFO cases, 330, I believe it was, and kind of outlined the whole pattern that they have, which is, you know, being captured, taken on board, examined. And then there's one aspect, he says, which is uh, giving given spiritual messages or warnings. And uh, the most common thing that happens to people when they're taken on board of a UFO is being examined. And uh, I'll have to agree with that. In my research, that seems to be pretty darn common. But the second most common thing, and this is something I think you know, I'm really running into a lot more these days, is being given these messages or being in some way spiritually affected as a result of your encounters. And what I'm hearing over and over again are these uh, warnings of upcoming disasters, or people being taught how to do alternative healing. That's very, very common. Or being taught how to do out-of-body exploring or learning about their past lives even or 
deeply spiritual stuff. Um, learning how to, they come back from their encounters remarkably clairvoyant or doing channeling even, or things like this. So that, you know, I think to a certain extent, to go back to your original question, it is the researcher and what they're focused on and what they're, you know, interested in, I guess, which influences the kind of client they get or what comes out from their investigations. But I tend to think on the whole, the ETs are not our enemies. I don't think we have anything to fear from them. I think they've always been there. I do think that they're a lot more in control than we realize. I think they're probably a lot more manipulative in our lives than we realize, but I don't fear them. Yeah, and and I mean, I know some researchers would disagree with that, you know, strongly, and they have a very negative view. And then I've certainly met some people who tell some stories that are very scary, and they wouldn't have the same um, outcome. But but I'm, you know, I've worked really hard to be agnostic about about the bigger picture, but I certainly sense what you're saying. Yeah, you have kind of have to take each story individually. Because some people are, are violated, and you certainly don't want to offend them. And uh, if they're a victim, you know, well, you can't deny that. If that's, you can't deny their experience that happened to them. And, you know, you can only support them. Um, but uh, I found people who feel both ways. And I think it's often people have the, an identical experience and interpret it really differently. So, yeah. Uh, that's, you know. Um. It's so interesting in that in the reply to that question, you touched on. I have a in front of me. I have a list of questions that I wrote up, um, and you kind of ticked off a bunch of them. I was, you know, and and uh, one of the things, you know, I'll just jump back to this that comes up over and over and over again. It's not a hundred percent, but it is a surprisingly large percentage of the people who have these experiences do report the ability to channel as part of the. Uh, um, uh, effects, you know, from their from their contact experience, um, you know. Right. And now, first of all, I'm less concerned whether they, like, you know, whether the whether the channeled material that comes through is trustworthy is a completely separate question. But what they, you know, there are folks that that are channeling, and I've had some direct experiences that are were incredibly bizarre and you know right on the money um, that. Uh, you know, coming from a channeled uh, message. I'll give one example. There's a woman, her name is Anya Briggs, and she does, uh, she's had uh, what amounts to profound UFO contact experiences, I think starting in 2008, um, which is which is quite recent. And, and then she immediately started channeling. She was immediately told she was going to be a, a, like a psychic as her, as her job. And I did a psychic reading with her. And um, very early on in the reading, she was talking about like, oh, you should eat less salt and olive oil is a good food for you. You know, very pragmatic stuff, you know, just like health stuff. And and then all of a sudden she blurted out this, this odd thing. She said, do you know Byron, North Dakota? Do you know Byron, Wyoming? And I was, and both of us were like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and then it took some research on my part, but... um Byron, South Dakota, and Byron, Wyoming are actually real locations. And if you put a line on the map, 
So I live in Idaho, and if you put a line on a map in, with a ruler and connect Byron, South Dakota, and then travel west to Byron, Wyoming, and then continue that line on the ruler, it passes exactly through my house. So, and then it was, I mean, there was absolutely no way she could have, you know, planned that out. Um, and she was absolutely as perplexed as I was. And it took me months to figure this out. And actually, it wasn't even me that figured it out. Um, I, I spoke about this in, a, in another uh, blog posting, and some one of the readers figured it out. So, so uh, you know, this is, you know, that... Uh, you know, that experience alone says to me that there is something going on with this channeled information. And um, it w- and I know a lot of researchers, I'll include Bud Hopkins in this, um, he was very, uh, you know, spoke about channeling with, a, you know, with derision. He didn't, he didn't believe it. He didn't trust it. Um, and, um, but I, but I just, from my own direct experience, there's something going on, which I find, you know, oh, there is. So there absolutely is. Because, you know, I've done a, a lot of research into channeling, actually, when I first uh, got involved with the, or I read the Jane Roberts books, the Seth material. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, you know, reading Ramtha, and the, pretty much all the channeled books, which I find really fascinating. Well, here's a quick question. When, what about what time, what chapter, what years were you reading the channeled books? Um... When was I reading those? It was the around 1985. That's when I started reading the, the Seth material. Okay, okay. So that's much okay because I went through a period just where I was reading somewhat compulsively channeled material, and it probably went from 97 to 99, maybe. And it yeah, was, I was going through. That, I was going through your timeline, and I, and and mine kind of echoed yours but i was like five years before you kind of each each aspect that that's that's why i asked i was just curious how this was playing out for you so i'm like oh yeah this happened to me but it was five years earlier and oh yeah that was about five years earlier so (laughs) it was kind of interesting in in that respect but as far as channel material i'm a huge fan actually and uh i I do enjoy it very much the seth material i thought was really amazing and it helped me a lot after my mom had died to sort of get a belief system going and start researching this stuff. But I, I, I am very curious about it. And uh, I, I did run into it with this whole UFO abduction phenomena. And I went to go visit some channelers at, at one point as well. And I found it very fascinating because all three of them um, told me pretty much exactly the same thing. And without any prompting, seemed to know that I was involved with the UFO phenomena and all said that I had uh, alien heritage or uh, alien past life, basically, which I found kind of interesting. And during one of those channeling sessions, I was actually with my sister-in-law and an abductee. We, we had gone together, and uh, we were talking when this ball of light appeared between us. And I looked at it in surprise, wondering if I was the only one seeing this, and I watched it, as it appeared and moved at a diagonal and disappeared into the floor. And my sister-in-law saw me looking at it and turned and looked at this ball of light, and we both watched it. And then the third lady, she also saw it, and, she, and we were all screaming out, look, at, look, did you see that? I saw that. <laughs> so really bizarre. Um, uh, let me see. As far as channeling, yeah, I have also uh, 
you know, ran into abductees who started channeling after this. And the one lady I got really close to, and she's channeled for me several times. She's become a very good friend, and uh, she's profoundly psychic. And she told me, you know, you do have this ability to channel yourself, which I found really interesting because as a writer, there'll be times I'm writing, you know, and it's clear this stuff is not really coming from me, me consciously, I guess would be a way to put it, because it's just almost just flows through you information that seems to be beyond your level of understanding even. So channeling, I think, is absolutely a real phenomena, and only one of the many... I think ETs are very attracted to people who are psychic, or in some way that they're very interested in developing these abilities in people. I think that a lot of the ETs' interest in humanity points towards this kind of thing, which seems to be very positive. I don't think when ETs are taking someone on board and saying, you know what, you know, I'm interested in you because you're psychic or let's see what we can do to make you more aware and you're disturbing your planet, don't, uh, you know, do this nuclear testing. It's a very, very common theme. And uh, pollution, also very common. So I think that the ETs are showing behavior that's very positive in, in some ways. Yeah, so you said a couple of things in there. Now, I have Anya Briggs, this channel that I, you know, am, am pals with. She has, in no uncertain terms, said, you know, uh, you can channel. You, that's right. You, you have the ability to channel. And, and I'll be quite honest. That's very intimidating for me to hear. Um, you know, she basically says, if you meditate, you know, fifteen minutes a day within the next, you know, if you do that for a few months, um, you'll start channeling. And uh, and to be quite honest, that was almost like a reason for me not to meditate. Uh, I felt, you know, I felt like, whoa, 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 that like, I feel like my plate's pretty full right now. I don't need to add anything more to it. So, and then I've also been told by, um, uh, there's a woman, do you know, Cynthia Crawford? She's the, she does the sculptures. She shows up at a lot of conferences. Uh, she must be in her early sixties, very handsome, tall, uh, white haired woman. Um, not specifically, probably, Okay, anyway, she's, she she claims not quite channeling, but she does claim direct intuitive contact with these beings. And she told me, in no uncertain ter- terms, that I have had a previous life um, in some sort of, you know, galactic federation, and that I have chosen to come here uh, and, and live out this life now. Um, so I've, you know, I you know, she basically, I've been told by an intuitive with lots of ufo contacts that that uh i you know you know pretty much the same thing you said you know like i lived a previous life where you know i was a you know one of them basically uh so this is this is fascinating um now yeah, a it, lot of oh, go a on. lot of uh, a lot of abductees have been told that that's the reason for their own contact is past lives uh, with these same ets and as far as channeling here's another story which i just have to stick in here um this one lady I interviewed, Pat Brown, really nice lady who you know, lives in the heart of uh, Pacoima, I believe it is, very um, densely populated area here in Southern California, and uh, didn't believe in ETs, but had a friend who was having contact. And uh, her friend had been trying to get her to go down to Sedona, Arizona, to listen to these channelers for a long, long time. And finally, Pat agreed to go, didn't really want to, but it did it for her friend, and they went to see these channelers, and the channeler claimed to be an ET. 
And Pat's like, oh, really, you're an ET? And the challenger said, yes, I am. I have a ship, you know. And uh, Pat said, well, you're really an ET, and you have a ship. I'd love to go on board your ship. And the challenger said, all right, it will be arranged. And uh, Pat Brown went home, and it was about a month later she began having abduction experiences, scary ones, <laughs> by, with gray-type ETs, which uh, became so terrifying for her that uh, she became just overwhelmed with fear and couldn't take the fear anymore and said, that's it. If this is really happening to me, I cannot deal with this fear. I want to do this consciously. I want to be aboard the ship right now. And she woke up aboard the ship, conscious, and had a very positive experience, in which she saw uh, human-looking ETs, which took her basically out of her body, showed her all the negative energy around the Earth from humanity's... Uh, negative thoughts and fears, showed her her positive, or I mean her masculine, her feminine side, and a very spiritual stuff like this. And uh, since then, she's had lots of positive contact and quit her job as a phone operator and became a, a healer, which she says she's been very effective at, and people have actually seen blue light coming out of her hands. Um, so it's, a, it's totally changed her life in a positive way. And I think this is one part of the reason people are having contact. And when I looked at your website, Mike, I thought, oh, here's another person who kind of fits the profile I keep seeing of people who are helping humanity in some way. All those books you've written on how-to stuff and backpacking and dealing with the, the nature um, kind of fits the profile of the type of person who has contact. These are people who are helping humanity in ways Know, inventors, doctors, social workers, writers, you know, even entertainers. And these are the type of people who seem to be having really profound contact, the people who are the influencers of society and the direction of thought. That is so interesting that you pointed out the books, those instructional books, my you know, my backpacking and, and ultralight camping books and ski books and stuff like that, because... Um, you know how to say this like i was living as an art director in new york city um you know total yuppie during the 1980s uh and then um through a series of events i ended up living out west uh basically to be a ski bum for one year it's something i wanted to do and it and it sort of changed my life so i i started pursuing these other uh things and and i have pondered that same thing that you pointed out i was like isn't it interesting that you know that these books i try to make sure that in each one of those books there's a oh like a sort of spiritual message you know that that even if it's just a few sentences in the bulk of the big book um and you know so i have that has crossed my mind what you just said um and I, and, and I appreciate you saying that because, it, you know, I don't know whether it's necessarily true or not, but I do sense that, that um, how to say it, you know, like if, if, if an individual is going to change, if an individual is going to uh, ascend a little bit, uh, uh, like one rung up on their spiritual development, um, in my opinion, I think that camping and being outside in nature is an important ingredient in that. Um, and, and what I feel like I've done is just toss the tiniest pebble in the pond, you know, and those ripples, you know, maybe 
have an effect for certain people. So, you know, I don't I don't see it as a grandiose thing like I like, you know, you know, wrote a spiritual, you know, book the same way that uh that um the Seth material is, let's put it that way, but I feel that, that there's a there's a um there's an ingredient in those books that I feel can can help people along that way, uh, you know, and I, and I say, I'm not exaggerating. I really, I really feel that's part of the reason I feel good about doing those books in the, in the big picture. Right. Well, my, my point is that they're, they're positive books. And I think that there's sort of this ET influence behind them. And I, I have so many examples. There's an abductee I know who's an organic gardener. Another abductee I know who is obsessed with saving, you know, wayward pets, dogs and cats and birds and all pets others who are obsessed with preserving seeds and uh, plants and uh, others who are social workers, others who, you know, are working really hard on all these very various aspects of, uh, which are positive, you know, healing or whatever it might be. Um, saving dolphins, that's another one. Another two is obsessed with saving dolphins. <laughs> how, how many times do I have to run across this before the, the pattern is, you know, it's clear. It's clearly obvious to me. Yeah. So, so and I agree. And I agree. I just got I interacted with someone on Facebook, and, and I, ha- I cannot like the the weird stuff that has happened in my life with Facebook, and the number of uh, as like a communication tool between people who claim these contact experiences, whether they're abductees and stuff. You know, someone sort of said to me like, "Oh, you should talk to this guy." So he's on Facebook. I just looked him up. I said hello. I said we should talk, and then uh, you know he gave me a little bit of his bio and i just i i i I, i'm going to keep this very i'm going to change a few facts but um you know he was working in a gas station and and you know that's what he'd been doing and and uh and then he said one day i became obsessed with reiki healing and now uh, a few years later he's a reiki master and his decision to to be a reiki healer almost falls in the same uh, that going back to Anya Briggs, I think it was 2008 that he made that decision, which was when she had her awakening event, uh, which was you know a profound UFO sighting that communicated directly to her above the streets of New York City. And um, so here, you know, here's like a here's one more person, you know, he's become a Reiki master, uh, and you know, working at the gas station isn't quite the, you know, that's you know you would think of someone who works at the uh, you know whatever at the organic. Uh, health food store, you know, then becoming a Reiki master. So I just, I, this is, I agree. I agree. I see these patterns and, and, uh, I'm continually impressed at, at how, um, you yeah, know, yeah, I think the ETs what are the message is. To, yeah. I think the ETs are working hard to raise our awareness and uplift us spiritually because apparently our technology has gotten so out of hand that we're this close to killing ourselves. We're having an energy crisis and economic crisis and then environmental crisis and all of this could honestly easily be solved if we would just release the et technology and end this government cover-up and stop this sort of evil greedy faction of i don't know who is doing it exactly but uh you know there's an element of our society that is just out of control and you've obviously heard the 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 
the conspiracy yarns that uh, that I um, I listen to them very closely. I don't know quite what to make of them. That that say that um, you know the archons, you know these sort of uh, interdimensional demons or or the jinn are are. Or the, or the reptilians, you know, if you listen to David Icke, for instance, are the ones behind these, uh, the power elite, you know, that they are somehow, you know, at you know, doing what amounts to Satan's work by creating this world we live in of strife and economic inequalities and, and, uh, um, and such. So, you know, so, so there are people out there, I'm going to use David Icke as an example, who are pointing to these whether they're demonic entities from another dimension or whether they're uh, ET uh, entities that, that aren't, do not have our best interests at heart that have some sort of master plan. Um, you know, I hear these right. stories and they dovetail very nicely together. It, when you look at reality, you know, it's like that's as good an excuse as any by what's going wrong as opposed to just our own uh, insecurities and our own selfishness just, you know, run unchecked. Um, so there's an example of like uh you know people claiming ET experiences that are not in our best interest. Right. Well, one thing I, that really does bother me as far as demonic and demons is um people who believe that the whole UFO phenomena in its entirety is attributed to de- demonic forces, which I think is absolutely uh, ludicrous and, and ridiculous. And I and sort of back this up, I ended up having to do you know, a really profound study of demons and demonology and uh, reading all the material on that subject and interviewing people who had what would amount to uh, you know, possession experiences and or messing around with the Ouija board and ended up calling in really dark black forces of basically inhuman spirits into their home. And uh, so I've, I know about this subject and uh, have, you know, research the first hand and I don't think that it's related to UFOs I think it's a spiritual subject um, I think that it's hard to say who's behind all this uh, evil in our world I think it's always been that way I think to a certain extent we are dealing with a society that is you know again that element of people who are in control of this power I think we do I think what bothers me most about the whole UFO situation in our society right now is what I was explaining earlier. We're sitting on this technology, and uh, the people who have it are the ones who are clearly in control of uh, our economy. If we're an oil-based economy, and I think that there's money become and power is the bottom line, and who's ever in control of this ET technology is not going to give it up without a fight. And true it appears that some of it has been released into our society as you know written about by colonel corso and other people but the fact is you know our constitution has been subverted and uh, people have taken control of in ways that is absolutely unfair and the black budget could easily pay off our national debt overnight and we don't even know where most of this money is being put to and it appears that we already know that we're having ET contact. And for that simple truth to be denied humanity is a crime. And uh, I want it to end. And that's, I think, my main motivation in doing this UFO research. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel that, you know, um, you know I've, I'm, I'm, how to say this, 
when peering into like what's going on behind the curtain in the the power elites, you know, as well as like the government, as well as like the military, um, I feel like there's a lot of disinformation. So you know, trying to research this is a is a um, uh, you know like entering a hall of mirrors. And and there are some researchers I trust, like Richard Dolan, and he he says you know very much the same thing you've just said. And this is one of those those corners of the uh, of the field that I'm I'm skeptical about. Now the thing that I'm trying to do in a way is you know like I I feel like if I you know stood in the you know the, on the Capitol steps with a petition to disclose you know UFO reality, um, I don't think I would have very much luck, right? You know, I don't think the world's going to change. I think people would just walk right by me and ignore me, and I would have very little influence on the grand big picture. What I guess I'm trying to do is uh, make sure that the grassroots from the bottom up is is has information so that this, oh, you know, spiritual evolution is a very strong word, but uh, let's just say, like, an awareness is growing from the bottom up so that um, that it will influence the the collective rather than trying to t- directly influence the power structure because I just I just I feel like that's that's a no win situation so um, you know that's where my energies are, are pointed toward just whether it's education or whether it's a, just a, a, a giving information to allow you know a more heightened awareness of this this multi-layered phenomena that we're both talking about here. All right. Well, it's interesting is all the advocates I talk to, well, almost as a rule, feel like there's going to be huge, huge changes coming up. Oh, yep. And I, I, I hear that too. And I, and, and I have to say that I have no proof of it. I can't verbalize it, but I do sense in my gut, you know, like my, my intuition you know, the little butterfly sort of wiggling inside me is telling right. me the same thing. Um, well, you know, I really looked into this. Uh, ever since a child, I've been obsessed with natural disasters, and I read up on Native American uh, stuff, all the, you know, books by, uh, well, I started with Carlos Castaneda, the books by Tom Brown Jr., and uh, a bunch of uh, Native American stuff, Hopi Indians and all that stuff, channeling and and basically, it all, it's all come together, near-death experiences. Um, and what's interesting is wherever you look to for knowledge, you know, even our scientists say, point to really profound climatic, climatic changes, you know, societal changes. Our scientists are saying it. people who have near-death experiences are taken to the other side and are being shown, you know, disasters upcoming. This is what people are being shown when they're taken on board UFOs. Our Native American elders, you know, Rolling Thunder, Tom Brown Jr., who was taught by Stalking Wolf, and the Hopi Indian prophecies, and a bunch of other stuff, are all saying the same thing as well. So it does look like we're coming towards some sort of a big change in our evolution in our planet, um, or this whole 2012 thing. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me about that, and uh, which I really can't speak to because, I mean, other than, you know, the Mayan calendar and Nostradamus seems to be the source of all of that. But whatever the case is, I do think that we're heading towards some sort of a major shift. Um, One lady was abducted in Topanga Canyon, and I I told her story in my book, UFOs Over Topanga Canyon, and she was told by the ETs that there's going to be a civil war type of 
um, thing in our society, sort of a class warfare type of thing. And if you're too overly political, you're a part of the problem. The best thing to do is just sort of get off the grid, so to speak, and uh, not be a part of this sort of class warfare, that, which I think is what we're heading towards um, as the separation of the you know, poor and the very, very wealthy seems to grow. And at any rate, whatever's going on, it can't go on in the direction we're going on with this huge you know, garbage dump in the middle of the ocean of plastic, which is you know, miles and miles wide, and uh, the fact that all our rivers are dying and the DDT is in every piece of organic material pretty much on Earth. Um, we've really messed things up, and uh, I think we're going to have to change directions at some point. I agree completely um, in that, uh, I mean, in a funny way, that is why I wrote those books, or I worked on those books, um, is, you know, that, the awakening process, you know, walking in the mountains for a few days. I, I used to work at a school, and I still do sometimes, where I did 30-day backpacking trips. Um, so you took, you know, most of the kids were college age, and you take someone out into the mountains, whether it be Alaska or Canada or the Rocky Mountains, for 30 days. Um, it is a very transformative experience for folks um, on multiple levels. Just something as simple as, as um, you know, to save weight, you just take one spoon, um, and then it, it, it's a it's a beautiful, empowering experience to live for 30 days with one spoon, um, and... Wow. And, and, and you know it's it's in you know and then for instance you know you don't basically you don't take a change of clothes right you just wear your same clothes over and over again you smell bad and but you don't smell that bad and 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 then at the same time there's a heightened sense of oh just being alive that comes from that so um yeah so i i don't mean to do a cell job on on you know my other career but uh you know there's a, that awakening that spiritual awareness is is you know um, can happen through something as simple as walking in the woods. Um, so, right. which is something and a lot of us simply don't do. Yeah, and all of this points towards, I think, the whole positive nature of the ET phenomena. If they're that interested in, in people who are, you know, helping humanity, I think what we're looking at is ETs trying to influence us in a sort of a non-interference way. They can't come right out and just take over society because that would subvert our culture, as we already know from our own experience on Earth. When a higher-level culture meets a lower one, the lower one pretty much gets absorbed. And so I think that's one of the reasons that there isn't open official ET contact. While at the same time, they are contacting us. I know a couple in Arizona, who I wrote about in one of my books, they had an experience where this UFO was following them. And uh, it landed in the field next to them, and uh, they had missing time. The next thing they know, they're driving home to their hotel room. And uh, under hypnosis, they recalled a, an abduction scenario, which can't be classified as abduction because they were invited on board, and they went on board voluntarily. They said the ETs looked very much human, except they were bald and had slightly larger eyes but could have passed for human on the street if they wore a hat and sunglasses easily. And uh, they said the ship was very simple, um, not a whole lot of gadgets and, or lights on it. And uh, they asked the ETs where they were from, 
and they're typically evasive. The ETs said, oh, we're from a place you don't know about yet. And they're like, well, why are you contacting us? And the ET says, well, we're contacting you because we want to help humanity, but we can only help so much. We can, and we're, we're trying to help people who are helping humanity. And this couple um, who they contacted do alternative healing, herbal healing in their neighborhood and are quite popular in their whole community with helping people out, which I think is uh, why they had contact. And uh, that was basically the extent of their experience. There's a lot of they don't remember. The husband could hardly remember any of it. But uh, most of the information came from the wife. But it, again, points to the, the sort of positive nature of uh, ET contact and I think what we're heading towards, which is sort of hopefully a new age in which we all get along and we stop poisoning our planet, we move towards organic farming and uh, moving away from the whole money system towards the point where we start pouring our time and energy into healing and uh, the advancement of spiritual knowledge and uh, dealing with the technology in a way that doesn't pollute our planet, which I think... This is what I'd love to see. I think this is what the ETs are working towards. Yes. Um, yeah, fascinating. Hey, now you... Um, I, I worked with um, Bud Hopkins a little bit. I spent some time with him. Uh, this would have been around 2007, 2008. Um, you know, he was a researcher, and I will also add that he was very, very... Uh, kind and compassionate and i think that that's something that that doesn't get um shared enough about him uh he he wasn't by profession a therapist but he had a really gentle way about him that um that that i feel benefited the people he interacted with now someone like um barbara lamb as well as uh yvonne smith now both those people are professional therapists. Um, do you have any sort of therapy training in your own uh, history? Um, do I? No, I don't. Um, I, uh, my mother was a therapist, so I have that. <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I don't. I kind of, like I said, I got dragged into this field um, which, when I was in college. And I, was, I do have a science background, but uh, as far as therapists, no. I, now- I'm the physicist. I'm the fifth of six kids, so there's a lot of kids in my family, and uh, we're all very close, but uh, very family-oriented. <laughs> but um, I don't have a therapy background, and uh, just after I think you are in a field for you know 10, 25 years, you do begin to pick up on it. And uh, like Bud Hopkins was an artist, his whole uh, entrance into the phenomenon very much was how I entered. He got stumbled on a local UFO incident and wrote about it for the local newspaper, which is exactly how what happened to me. And uh, I actually did get, get an opportunity to meet him early on in research because um, my research completely echoed his. Um, I started right before Missing Time really became a bestseller, and it was before Communion had come out. And uh, I was able to meet Bud Hopkins. And as, you, as you said, he was very kind and very compassionate and took the time out to talk to me about my own research and how it echoed his. And, uh, yeah, I I kind of lost my point there, but I... Well, I guess the point I was wondering is, I mean, you must, I just sense it in you, uh, that you're, you know, I could see you being very supportive and, like, let's how to say this, like, non-clinical 
with the people that you um that you are working with um yeah absolutely i think my first goal whenever i talk to an abductee is not to you know get their story so to speak but to uh make sure that they're all right in fact i was contacted by a couple from uh canada actually who had contacted several ufo researchers and uh were very unhappy and finally got a hold of me and uh, they had a very profound experience and just wanted someone to talk to who had some answers and uh, their experience involved the lady being pregnant and at uh, six months she lost her baby to a UFO experience where basically the ETs came into her bedroom and took her baby and uh, they they wanted someone to talk to they wanted to know if this had ever happened to anybody else and you know what were they what were they supposed to do and who could they talk to about it and so um that was a typical example of someone like i'm like wow you know th- these people really need some help and uh i had to basically counsel them for you know several days and and at one point the they had a fight this is an example of um, how, how i had to do counseling on had a fight and the, the wife disappeared and the, the husband thought perhaps the ETs had taken her and he was absolutely in tears. He called me up in the middle of the night thinking his wife was never coming back that she'd been taken by a UFO. But in fact, they, she had just taken off. <laughs> and so I'm, I assured him, no, <laughs> you know, she would be back. And uh, well, so you can see how you, you, you definitely have to, to learn how to deal with uh, the, the trauma of the situation at some point of people who I have in contact. I mean, I have had people call me up in tears with uh, ETs they felt were on their way to abduct them. And so it's, you learn to deal with it as best as you can. Wow, that's interesting. Um, the, the, uh, and, I, and I've talked to a lot of women and, and the reoccurrence of the missing pregnancy story um, is, is ever-present in their stories. Um, uh, you know, in one of the things that's happened and a woman was very upset because she, um, was showing signs of pregnancy. She went to a gynecologist, the gynecologist confirmed that she was pregnant. Um, later she went back to the gynecologist and the pregnancy was gone. And the, the doctor basically was very angry at her for, you know, he, he, um, he basically accused her of having an abortion, which she said she didn't have, and then he basically accused her of lying. And I've heard that story a few times um, from different individuals, and and it was very, you know, troubling to you know to have to this individual, you know, to have an experience that she didn't understand, and then have a doctor, you know, accuse her of doing something that she did not do um, in a way that you know she felt very. Um, you know, yeah, ashamed of, let me put it that way. And I've, I've run into that many, many times, actually. And this lady I just spoke of, she sent me photos of, show, of her showing her pregnancy and uh, medical tests as well, which confirmed it. And after this baby disappeared, she did go to the doctor. And uh, suddenly all, they showed an enormous interest in her case. And she was shuffled around to some very high-level hospitals and was being given this whole runaround and uh, was really upset about it because uh, they weren't giving her any answers and uh, they were doing an enormous amount of tests on her and were showing just a lot of interest. In another case I investigated, um, 
was a, involved a lady who had, was pregnant with twins and had lost one of the twins. It, it died, and uh, the doctors told her the other ch- chance of the the chances of the other fetus surviving were like one in five million. And she started having abduction experiences during this whole experience, and where the ETs were very very interested in her pregnancy, and ended up having a really prof- beautiful child with uh, who was profoundly psychic, <laughs> and she says, and uh, just a very unusual, bright, precocious child, and who kept talking about his brother. Where's my brother? Where's my brother? And she says, what are you talking about? And he said, well, the angles come and are talking about my brother. And finally said, the angels. And it turns out she thinks it's the ETs who were coming at night and are showing this twin, his brother, who was apparently living on board a UFO. And there's this whole twin thing that's prevalent with abductees as well, which you know turns up occasionally in cases. So apparently, you know, there's that as well. Another aspect of ETs influencing our lives is some people have siblings who are aliens or being raised by aliens. Yeah, and and that's something I've heard over and over again is like children who are profoundly psychic. Um, there's a fellow named Tom Reed. I don't know if you've heard of his story. Um, um, he must be f- about f- in his very early 50s, maybe 51, and he's um, been uh, dealing with abductions, both him and his brother, multi-generational. Through his, his mother had a series of events. Um, his grandmother was once abducted with him in a car, and now his own son is showing a very profound psychic abilities as well as um, intellectual abilities, you know, you know, beating grand chess masters and as a elementary school student and things like that. Um, uh, and then I've also heard, yeah, I've heard this story over and over and over again about people's kids. And it, and it goes a little bit beyond just, you know, like, you know, parents bragging about how great their kids are, you know, that's one thing, but you know, th- this is something entirely different. Yeah. The whole indigo child thing, you know, it's weird. Cause you know, in my own case, I, started my research with UFOs, and, but it moved on to other paranormal aspects. And uh, a big one was uh, out-of-body experiences. And there's this, several cases where I've uh, read about where pilots had, had close encounters with UFOs, and they were uh, later questioned by air, uh, military officials who would question them about their sighting and then said, ask them, well, did you have any out-of-body experiences following your UFO sighting? And several of the pilots said, yes, they did. And there's this whole out-of-body aspect to a UFO phenomena, and I, which I found fascinating because I became obsessed with the whole out-of-body uh, phenomena to the point where I actually wrote a book about it, and it's my only autobiographical book, and I was able to actually get really good at it <laughs> at some point where I could go out of my body and you know, visit friends and visit the other side and had a a huge, huge spiritual awakening. This is... And, uh, oh, yeah, keep going, keep and, going. And it, what's, what, what's really amazing is, you know, I was, I had discovered this whole new world, right, where you could go out of body and fly and do all these things, and then I'd come back into the waking life and would have these profound psychic experiences of, like, uh, precognition, uh, dreams coming true, cl- clairaudience, clairvoyance, 
just a whole host of stuff that blew my mind away. And I, I, I loved it. It was like being woken up, literally. And I attribute this to the UFOs kind of getting involved in that field because it, it's how it was all triggered for me. I had no idea. You know, it's interesting. I did review your books on your Amazon uh, page. And just so you know, I'm going to put a link to your Amazon page and to your website and uh, and maybe a couple of other um, audio interviews. And there's a YouTube video that I found. Um, so those will, the way I you know uh, post these things to the show notes with each of these interviews, I'll make sure all that information is there. But when I, I did see that, um, that you had uh, a book on outer body experiences and it didn't even register my god that's very interesting um here let me I, and i also just want to jump back a little bit while we were talking i made some notes and we were talking about channeled books and um neil donald walsh who wrote the book uh, uh conversations with god which was an incredibly popular um series of books that from channeled he claims they channeled directly from god yeah, I, I read them yes yeah. and he um I didn't find this out until very recently. Before he had written any of these books, he had had an outer body experience. Oh, and, is that right? Yeah. And, excuse me, I'm sorry, a near-death experience. Um, so he had had a near-death experience, which, you know, there's a blurring in my mind between the near-death experience, the outer body experience, as well as the UFO experience. I mean, they all... Um, can be the catalyst for a spiritual awakening. They can all be a catalyst for a change of direction in someone's life. They and they seem to be all can be a catalyst for psychic abilities and channeling. Um, so, you know that that to me make is forced to make me uh, examine that this this realm where the ETs come from may not be just another planet. You know, just another planet that that we can um, anthropomorphize. That's just like here, right? You know, a bunch, a bunch of physical entities with, um, you know, metal spaceships. It it seems that they are inhabiting that same realm that um, takes place in the outer body experience or in the near death experience, or they have access to that realm. Um, just this anecdotal evidence of these things being so pro- profound in people's lives, uh, and and that same yeah. thing that you just asked that question that gets asked of pilots. You know, I'm I'm convinced that we're dealing with biological ETs for, for a number of reasons. Because the fact that they have ships that they need to move around in, and uh, the fact that with the Roswell case, these ETs, you know, were rotting and smelled bad. And certainly when people are taken on board, they often smell organic smells. Whitley Strieber, as an example, has to smell the ETs and could feel their skin and uh, smell them and said they you know, had a slight cinnamon smell a wet cardboard type of thing. And uh, so I'm one of those pe- researchers who's convinced we're dealing with ETs. And, and I think your explanation, of, um, one of them you mentioned was that they have access to this sort of a, the other side or the other dimensions. Or I think that's accurate. I think they have a very profound understanding and are able to levitate and do all these, you know, do telepathy and do all these things, healing even. Um that is an ability we also have um, inherent within us. Um, and I think this is one of the things that they're trying to develop is to turn us into, the, wake us up into the full potential that we actually have. And if you really do your research into mystics and yogis and saints 
and you know, I, I wrote a whole book on levitation, and boy, did that wake me up um, to the fact that I, the human organism has capacities and talents that we're only have just barely begun to tap, and which include levitation and teleportation and telekinesis, telepathy, and uh, it just goes on from there. And this is something I think it's much easier for us to actually, you know, access and develop than a lot of people realize. And we're seeing a huge awakening of that in our society right now, where it's become, you know, certainly well-known and uh, much more accepted to the point where everyone knows what a psychic is. And many people have had psychic readings and uh, all those ghost shows are on TV to the point now where we can see objects moving by themselves <laughs> or, or appearing to be moved by spirits. So there is definitely a whole awakening aspect going on with humanity right now. Yes, and, and I sense that 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 I'm... Uh, you know, like, I just, I see myself, I turn the clock back, you know, a decade and see where I was at, and now look at myself now, and I have ascended a little bit on this strange ladder of of awareness, and, and, I, and I feel like I look at reality very differently than I did um, just a few years ago. Um, it is much richer and much deeper and much more uh, multi-layered and, and, uh, than, than I would have allowed myself to think just a few years ago. Um, oh, and then the, the thought of these entities being metal, you know, I keep on going back to like, oh, there's something more going on than metal spaceships, and I, I, I feel that, um, though I do suspect that, um, you know, there's there's a divergence in the research community. Some people are strictly nuts and bolts, and some people paint this phenomena as, a, as almost like a mystical, spiritual uh, phenomena, and I think that those are both a little bit uh, confining. I think instead of either or, um, I, I just think it would serve one better to see it as both and, uh, as far as how to right. proceed forward. Hey, I, here's a, I'm just going to share a little story. I sat next to a guy at a conference one time and started talking with him, and, and he was from England, and I cannot remember his name. It wouldn't take too much research to figure it out. Um, but he told of a, an experience where he was with I think his family, I think he had kids, and he was in England, and he was on a lonely road, and then a giant triangular craft floated over him. And then immediately he had this, like, you know, profound uh, outer body experience, and the next thing he knew, he was uh, in an astral body of some sort floating above the giant triangular craft looking down on it so in essence what he got was a view from above and then um just like in uh close encounters of the third kind where uh richard dreyfus makes the uh the giant statue of of devil's tower he made a uh, a model a 3d model of what the top of the craft looked like um and and it looked like um I mean, they would be very big tiles, but it looked like it was made out of tiles. There was like a series of, of uh, tiled features that made up the, the top part of this triangular craft. And, um, and you know, so there's an, another example. And, and, you know, you have that, that, that same feeling. I mean, he, he did not deny the fact that he was absolutely compelled 
uh, you know, he was not going to sit still until he had created that three-dimensional model. So, you know, he has this sighting. He sees the side of a UFO that no one gets to see, the top side of a giant triangle, and then he is compelled to... Um, uh, to sculpt it, and then he ba- and then he went on to say, you know, like he he his, it it caused so much challenge in his life. He got divorced from his wife. I'm probably getting some of these details incorrectly, but but uh, and then he met another woman, and he realized like, oh, there's going to come a day where I'm going to have to tell her this story about my you know funny UFO experience. And before he got around to doing that, she sort of came out to him that she was a UFO abductee. Oh wow! So here's yeah, all these convergent thing. things that that we've talked about in this interview already that are all just, you know, glommed together into this one guy. Yeah, some of, I think there's a whole manipulation aspect as far as relationships, and in some of the cases I've investigated, and many that I've read about, people's most profound loves, you know, their greatest partner in their life, they were set up, basically, by the ETs, in a pretty blatant way. So, <laughs> there's that whole aspect as well, which is, you know, kind of amazing if you think about it. Um, uh, I, I met Linda Moulton Howe and she told a story of of an abductee who um, had always been having dreams of this one person they'd always had these dreams of this one person they could visualize this person so clearly and then one day they were walking down the street and they they were literally looked ahead of them and there was this person that they had seen all their life in their dreams and they, he immediately went up to this woman, and the woman said the same thing about him, that she had had dreams about meeting him someday, and they uh, ended up getting married and having kids, and then the child, at least one of the child, had the same experience where he was having dreams um, about seeing this one person over and over again, and the same thing, uh, something as mundane as seeing this person as a complete stranger on a city street, you know, walked up to this person, said like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to talk to you. And they were, the other person was also astounded, like, I need to talk to you too. And they, they had the same follow-up story. So a second generation had that same set of experiences. Wow. That's really fun. Here's another interesting story, which is slightly off topic, but sort of on the same vein we've been talking about is how um, aliens are, interested in humanity and sort of helping us out. This guy I interviewed was on a Navy ship when these UFOs showed up. And it was a very profound experience. It caused a huge, you know, red alert on the ship, and everyone was talking about it. A bunch of people went up on deck to watch it, and uh, he was watching it with, you know, his binoculars and uh, looking at this stuff, and it really affected him emotionally. And uh, he went to sleep that night and had this really profound dream he calls it but he really feels it's more than a dream where he was on board these ufos that they had just seen and uh the ets were all around him and they were inquiring about the power source of the ship and he was trying to explain what he knew about you know ships and uh, how they were powered which you know wasn't a whole lot really and uh, they said well there's many other power sources all around you why don't you use those we don't understand why you're overlooking you know of the power sources that are much more accessible, like the sun and think and the movement and things like this, that he couldn't, you know, he was having trouble understanding what they were conveying completely. But he came away from his experience. Well, the next morning was really interesting. Half the people who had gone out to uh, most of the people he had watched the UFOs with could not remember seeing the UFOs, and uh, he 
ended up, you know, not being able to find almost anyone who could even recall this experience except for one other guy. He said, oh, yeah, I remember we were up there watching UFOs. Otherwise, it was as if it never had, had happened at all. And uh, so it was really bizarre. And he came away from the experience obsessed with trying to build a free energy machine. And this is, again, a, something that turns up in case after case. I believe Whitley Strieber even tried to do this as a child on this to build some sort of a free energy device. And uh, that's what he tried to do. And uh, he ended up, he's kind of a handyman, tinker, inventor type. And then ended up, you know, going to the local hardware shop and buying all this stuff that uh, he was compelled to buy, um, a bicycle wheel, and just a, a really simple sort of device. And he said he built this machine, which he felt was sort of channeled to him by the ETs or he, that he learned from this dream experience. And he built it, and he said this device would just spin and spin and spin for days and days and days and days. It was a, a sort of an eternal motion device and uh, God, I, I don't know exactly how that story ended up but uh, it's just interesting to me that ETs are you know looking at our battleships and trying to figure out why we're spending our energy on that when there's other ways of uh, accessing energy Oh yeah, I, and and this is something that that I've heard too. And just like scientists are getting you know downloaded with information, and Whitley Strieber has done research on this. And um, there is a fellow who worked with uh, Roger Lear. I've met this fellow. Um, he's very cautious about his own identity, but um, he had an <clears throat> implant removed from his toe. And Roger Lear, being a podiatrist, you know, was there at the at the um, at the uh, surgery, and you know this fellow had had a lifetime of of uh, contact experiences, and the content of of the implant that was in his toe uh, was made of carbon, and there's something called carbon nanotubes, and it is like the cutting edge of nano computer high tensile technology. Um, you know, like the, the, there's a prediction that you know in the near future our own computer systems instead of being silicon based will be carbon based made out of the same material so that's what he's researching this guy's a material scientist and um and and in essence that was what was removed from his toe like a like the next generation of exactly what he was studying wow so um yeah and and uh and I know Whitley Strieber has a few stories from scientists who have come forward and contacted him directly uh, with similar type experiences, almost like downloaded information on uh, on their um, their experiences. Hey, yeah, but will that point to who's having contact and why? Yeah, yeah. It just it's you know part. Oh God, this gets so strange. Hey, um, how you holding up? We've been at it for about an hour and uh, forty minutes here. It looks like. Oh, I'm I'm loving it. Are you kidding? I I love talking about this stuff. Oh, good, good, good. So, um, great. Let's just continue on a little bit longer, and and um, and then we'll uh, we'll sort of bring it to an end here. I, um, I feel like I should interview you again sometime because there's like you know all these other avenues. I'm trying to keep it confined. And when you said you were doing, um, outer body experiences, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That that's like its own interview. So, um, so you, uh, you worked with Rosemary Ellen Guiley on a book. Um, yeah, she contacted me to uh, write a children's book 
about uh, UFOs and one about Bigfoot as well. Oh my word! So, I didn't realize they were children's books. Um, what's the content of these books, and how is it how is it formatted? Um, for the UFO, it's a whole series, mysteries and legends, and they cover various aspects of the paranormal. And uh, they contacted me to write the UFO book because of, um, I think it was through Fate magazine, and I'd, you know, I'm a MUFON field investigator, so I've had a you know, been doing this a long time. And at any rate, the, they wanted a book that uh, basically told the entire aspect of the UFO phenomena. So I covered the, everything from uh, you know, sightings and landings and abductions, the contactee era, um, the, the whole deal, ancient astronauts even, and uh, crashed UFOs. And uh, it was interesting writing for children because uh, initially I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have to be careful not to go over their head. And that's not the direction I went at all. I I went fully uncensored and just told it as it is, and it turned out to be, I think, the best styles, not to talk down to anybody, but to just lay it out in clear, clearly and concisely. And the book ended up being really popular with adults as well. So. Uh, oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And part of the reason I asked about Rosemary Ellen Guiley is I interviewed her recently. I met her in February at the conference that took place in uh, Arizona, the Open Minds Conference. And, um, you know, it took a little while, and she's very formal in her in her uh, interview, you know, when she's being interviewed. And I, and I kind of pushed her a little bit, and I, you know, I kind of asked, you know, um, you know, how she follows her uh, intuition, let's say. You know, I think there's two ways to, to proceed forward, you know, very pragmatically, you know, following your brain, following your mind, and then um, also, you know, following your gut, following your intuition, following your your sixth sense. And how do you um, proceed forward? How do you separate those two? Um, well, I've always followed my gut. I think you have to follow your heart and do what you want to do, follow your excitement and... Uh, I found that if you follow your impulses and you listen to that, you know, almost really subtle voice inside you, that's what leads to the really profound synchronicities, the really life-changing events um, in your life. And that's been my experience. Though at the same time, I'm very scientific and very skeptical. I've kind of had a, a science background. Growing up, I was so skeptical that and when finding out UFOs was, were real, made me even more skeptical, to be perfectly honest, because I felt like everything I had learned had to be re-questioned and re-examined. And so now, um, and doing out-of-body experiences as well, for that matter, puts you in a very, very sort of a critical frame of mind where you're questioning everything and looking at reality and trying to determine what's real and what's not. And uh, when, I, when I interview a witness... I, you absolutely have to give the impression that you believe what they're saying, whether you do or not. And uh, I've learned not to judge people. Um, one lady I was interviewing was telling me absolutely outrageous experiences, which I could not believe. And uh, she ended up becoming a really good friend and uh, took me out to see UFOs close-ups twice. So I, I'm pretty convinced that <laughs> her experiences are real because she's one of the few people who's able to do that successfully. And uh, give me some of my most amazing UFO sightings ever. I mean, just 50 feet away a UFO, which she basically called down. And what did it look like? 
Oh, it was beautiful. You know, she she had been having contact, and I, I was interviewing her and uh, transcribing the interview, and it was just so unbelievable. She had had an abduction experience where ETs came into her room, and she lashed out and kicked one and broke its neck and killed it. And on uh, another abduction experience, she was halfway to the UFO, floating through the sky away from her house when she woke up and said, what the hell are you doing? I do not give you permission to do this. Put me back in my room right now. And the ETs were profoundly surprised and turned around and floated her back to her room. And uh, she ended up having really positive contact. So she's an amazing lady. And, um, and her neighbors had seen UFO and her friends had seen UFOs. And all these people around her had seen UFOs. And I said, I want to see a UFO. And she said, I'll, I'll arrange it. And she called me back and she says, okay, we're going to drive along the 210 freeway and pull off this dirt road. This is in Pasadena. And this is where the ETs are going to show up. I said, okay, I'll do it. And we walked up this dirt road. And I was with my sister-in-law and her son. And they fell behind because it was a little bit of a hike up this dirt road. And we got to the top of a mountain. Is this daylight or nighttime? This was at night. And, uh, you know, mind you, you're not supposed to park right on the freeway there like we did. And just a really, this is not a terribly isolated area, but it was isolated enough where there were no houses at all around us. No buildings, nothing. It was just this kind of a mountain. And uh, we got to the top of this little sort of mountain hill, and she grabs my arm and screams and says, look. And I turned to my right, and forgetting completely about the camera around my neck, there's this beautiful sphere, which is uh, perfectly round, about the size of a, a house, maybe two houses put together, and uh, completely covered with golden, sparkling lights. And just really, really beautiful. Probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And uh, maybe even transparent. I couldn't quite tell. It almost looked like a giant glowing dandelion, you know, the dried dandelion mm -hmm. with that sort of perfectly round and spiky powder puff look. It was like that, but light, golden lights. And uh, wasn't sure if it was solid or not, but uh, it was clearly very, very, very unusual. And it was no less than 50 feet away, maybe 100, about 50 feet off the ground and very close to us. And we took off running towards it, at which point it sort of scooted away and then very quickly moved around the mountain and disappeared to where we couldn't see it. So, and she was able to show me another, on another occasion, a UFO, which showed up and gave me a telepathic message, basically saying, hi, this is us, we're, you know, I don't want to say her name, I'll call her Wendy. Um, hi, we're Wendy's ETs, you know, hi, it's us. And they darted around back and forth to make it, obvious that these were not uh, a plane or a helicopter or anything. So, so let me interrupt that. that so that, that communication, you know, where Wendy's um, ETs, was that telepathic, that communication? Yes. And so bizarre because I'd never had that, really. I mean, I mean I've occasionally experienced telepathy with, you know, my sister-in-law when we're talking or something. Um, I'll know she's going to say something, something like that. But this was profound, and obvious, and, and the light appears, and I get blasted with a, hi, <laughs> and it, you know, it wasn't even the word hi, it was like, this is us, here we are, hello, you know, you wanted to see us, 
and uh, we're Wendy's ETs, and we're showing ourselves to you. It was all in one kind of giant bam. And uh, then it darted around and said, look what, kind of like, look what we can do. <laughs> and uh, we're not a plane. And uh, then they disappeared. So I'm a believer <laughs> because I've seen them. Yeah, no, I've had some some sightings myself, uh, though never quite like that. Um, that sounds that sounds amazing, and 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 your friend Wendy reminds me in a curious way of my friend Anya, where, where the way you started this, you said you know she says she tells you these things that you just find like whoa whoa I'm too skeptical like I can't believe that that's too outrageous, and um, and then she'll follow up with an experience like that you know um, where she's you know then I, I suspect what that has done is it has made you. Um, you, you know, you, you're still allowed to be skeptical, but I bet you pay very close attention to what she says at this point. Oh, yeah. And for that matter, other people as well who tell me experiences, I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> because um, often I'll hear stories that are just a little too hard to swallow, but then a year later, out comes another person, same story. And, you know, I mean, with profound enough similar details to make it, you realize there might be something to this. And that was one of the things that really convinced me this whole abduction phenomenon was real, was as I would talk to people and they'd start revealing details which they could not know, honestly. I mean, the, and these are sort of what I call red flags or markers, um, which so indicate that these people are having a real experience and not just making this up from something they saw on Saturday Night Live or, you know, the news or... Oh I yeah, yeah. No, I've had, I've been forced to to go down that same that same road where it feels like I um you know, like there's a continuum I think we all have, you know, like where there's a, we can believe and believe and believe up to a certain point and then then it's just like you know, like whoa, whoa, whoa. That's uh that's just past what I'm capable of absorbing and then um and then you're forced to reexamine and rethink and then collect other evidence that 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 I don't want to say confirms, but that, um, you know, that makes that story that much less unusual. I feel like, you know how when, um, like in the history of UFO research, there was this thing where you would say, um, like, okay, uh, you know, like, let's say back in the 1940s or the early 50s, you would see a UFO in the sky. But, you know, like if someone reported an entity, they, you know, they wouldn't be believed, you know, so then little by little people started reporting entities that were like standing outside the ship and, and for instance, doing little soil samples or standing in the road or something. And then right. those stories, you know, initially were rejected, but then little by little, you know, like, oh, I guess we're being forced to, to believe or, or to, uh, you know, maybe believe is the wrong term. We're, we're forced to conclude that these, that these credible witnesses are, are not exaggerating or anything. And then um, the abduction events start happening and then the same thing you know happened where the the researchers are forced to you know go down a road where they they might not have felt comfortable going down that road and i feel like i'm at that same point where like i'm being confronted with information that is challenging me in a way where i i have to sort of suck it up and say like okay i gotta follow this up i gotta continue down this path and take this stuff seriously um you know i'm allowed to be skeptical but i'm but i but i am not allowed to dismiss these events outright or dismiss them with contempt like some people would right well i think the ets are behind this 
throughout Whitley Strieber's book, he, he, he has that whole theme of ETs, and he doesn't, you know, he's very coy about calling them ETs. Yeah, the visitors. Um, but they seem to be, you know, teachers and very wise and kind of raising people profoundly and giving them the experience that they need at that time. And I do think that they're very in control of the situation. There was one lady I was talking to who was having really amazing experiences. And I asked her to go on TV because I offered to, you know, appear on a, a television program and they wanted some abductees. And I asked her. And she was delighted. And she said, oh, absolutely, I'd love to. And it was a couple of days before the production when uh, she had a visitation and the ETs were not happy. And they're like, no, you're not going on TV. We don't want you to. And... Uh, so they're keeping tabs on what's going on, and that's not the first time, you know, that sort of thing has happened to me. Where the ETs are clearly aware of my own research, and I think this is true with UFO researchers. And I did a whole article on this, of uh, you know the tables turned when you when people start researching UFOs, they will absolutely research you. And I think this is why I've had that experience with that ball of light in front of my car which has actually happened a couple of times, um, two or three at least. It happened once on the freeway on the way to a UFO lecture. And uh, I do feel like I'm being monitored by the ETs. And uh, they're aware of you know, my research. And I know how that sounds, but uh, there are other investigators who have had profound UFO contact as well. In uh, Whitley Strieber's case, Jim Conroy, I believe was his name, wrote a book about... Ed Conroy, yes, experience. Report on Communion. Yes, yeah. Which I have and, not uh, read. I've heard that book is very interesting. It is very interesting. And he ended up, you know, having experiences himself. And uh, you know, if you go down the line of UFO researchers, they've all had sightings. Brad Steiger had a sighting as a child. Uh, Bud Hopkins had a sighting, you know, with his friends. And uh, right down the line, you know, there's a few who deny it, but I, I wonder if the... You know, I I, I have yeah that's actually one of the things I've done on my blog is is um just created a little uh, bulleted set of bulleted points of researchers who claim the abduction experience and I can't remember how many I got to it was like I mean I bet you if you you know you and I put our heads together we could come up with a few more but it was shocking like it's and, like oh that's and right Ruffle, and this one and Ruffle had a sighting as a child and I think a, a, a lot of researchers. You know, once they get involved in this, they start having sightings. Virginia Aronson, she wrote a book about uh, UFO healings following my own book, which kind of, you know, took off where I left off. And uh, she started having experiences. <laughs> so uh, there's definitely something to that. And I think it's just another indication of how close of the tabs the ETs have on us. As well as, as, as that, that, that sense of being compelled or impelled to do something from an outside source. Right, right. And it appears to be all good because, uh, you know, I don't see, again, any sense that we're dealing with something that's super hostile um, or sadistic, like the, the whole Nazi phenomenon. Um, that That's not ap- apparent in ET behavior, at least in the stories that I'm getting. You know, even the worst grades of examinations where people are being treated like lab rats People tell me that they feel that the ETs are just unemotional and are doing the job and are almost militaristic about it, but uh, are not uh, meaning to hurt people. And uh, 
you know, as far as the implants, the, that's another thing I wanted to mention. A lot of people look at implants being very negative, and of, I've had four or five or even more abductees tell me that the aliens told them the reasons for the implants, and one was told that it was to measure the level of pollution in her body, and another was told that it was to uh, boost her immune system because of there's so many uh, things that are affecting her immune system in our foods and uh, our water. So uh, I've had several witnesses say that. So I think that there are positive reasons for some of these implants, which is just something, an important point I think that people should be aware of. Hey, do you, do you work with hypnosis at all? I mean, do you... Um... No, I don't. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I totally support it. I think it's absolutely a valuable tool. Um, and I have referred witnesses to Yvonne Smith or uh, Barbara Lamb or other, you know, hypnotists. But of the people I've worked with, you know, in my book, Extraterrestrial Visitations, it outlined 10 stories of really profound contact. Only two of the people in it had gone under hypnosis. And in, in this new book I'm putting together, which has got like 25 stories, um, only a couple of people needed hypnosis to remember their stories, which is another one of the myths I want to kind of explode about UFO contact, it doesn't rely on hypnosis in any way, shape, or form. Hypnosis is simply a tool that allows some people who have profound amnesia of their encounters to overcome it. But there are other ways, and the people I've spoken with have uh, full memory even and are, of uh, their encounters or gained it naturally afterwards through dreams or just uh, through recall meditation or just profoundly like one guy I interviewed uh, he never went under hypnosis he recalled his encounter when he broke his tooth and suddenly he had a flood of memories of ETs operating on his mouth and he naturally recalled the whole experience of being taken on board as a child for a period of five hours actually and had a really long profound experience in which ETs you know took him around their ship, dangled him out of the bottom of the ship, showing him how they siphoned electricity out of our uh, telephone wires, and uh, it goes on from there. So uh, I think uh, hypnosis is an absolutely valuable tool, but I have not even found it necessary. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's, there's a, I attempted hypnosis several times and it never quite achieved anything. Um, it was interesting because I could visualize, you know, there was an event that took place in my youth and I could visualize other things that, and then, and then when it came time to get to the, uh, oh, sort of the, the event, which would have been like the core of a missing time event or the, the sort of glitch in the missing time of, you know, experience, you know, I know right where that happened and, um, I couldn't get past it. I couldn't enter it. I couldn't move beyond it. I couldn't. Um, but what I did see was I very clearly saw the old neighborhood that I grew up in um, and saw things that uh, so clearly that I never would have, you know, wouldn't have crossed my mind. So um, I'm... Well, I'm... I know a couple of people who did go into hypnosis um, and uh, weren't, weren't particularly happy that they did, not because it was profound you know, profoundly disturbing in any way, but because they recall their, the experiences they recalled were recalled under hypnosis, and they couldn't, they didn't feel like 
the memories were quite the same as a waking memory, and they could never really come to grips with the, whether or not this was real. And I, and I foresee that that's in a way I, I'm so skeptical that like the one thing I'm most skeptical of, and this is like, I've said this over and over again, I am most skeptical of my own set of experiences. Um, you know, I'm, I'm my own harshest critic. I'm, I just, and I, and I would, I would worry that if I did go under hypnosis successfully and retrieved memories, like I wouldn't believe them anyway. You know, I'd find some way to deny that they were real. Um, well, I'm convinced that hypnosis is, uh, absolutely accurate and valuable tool and I'll give you another reason why I think so it's not just beyond the fact that uh, people under hypnosis are recalling the same type of details and the same stories coming out over and over again from people who don't know each other but Mythbusters, do you know that show on Discovery Channel? I've heard of it, I've never seen it though they explode various myths like you know, do you get better gas mileage with your air conditioner on and the windows closed or will this happen if you do this, you know, various myths and they tackled the alien abduction phenomenon once and so I watched it and uh, what they decided to do was see if hypnosis works and what they did is they have a little crew which does this experiment they fooled the crew by staging an event involving an argument where someone came in and had an argument with with them and uh, then left and uh, it was a really you know big blow up and they're like wow what was that and then the producers came in and said what do you all remember about what just happened? And they all had varying accounts of their memories. Some of them couldn't really remember the witness at all, you know, the, the antagonist. And so they're like, we're going to put you under hypnosis and do hypnotic regression and take you back to this incident which just occurred and see if we can pull out any further details. And lo and behold, the hypnosis was profoundly accurate. They were able to describe the witnesses, the antagonist, down to some really amazingly minute details, such as what they were wearing, the color of their clothes, uh, the tattoo they had, and what the tattoo was, their eye color, things like this. And they were able to get an absolutely accurate um, story of what happened through hypnosis, where they could not get it consciously. So that's another reason why I'm a big supporter of hypnosis. Oh, that's interesting, and that's good to hear because I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm, how to say this? I'm very easily swayed, you know. And there's some people who make an argument like, "Oh, we should never do hypnosis," and I listen to their argument, and I'm like, "Oh, they got some points there." And then there's other folks that say, um, you know, just what you say, and I say, "Oh, well, that that makes sense too." Um, uh, you know, I just I would say that the tool should be used, uh, and I guess that's that's everyone who's ever done it i know uh I'm, I'm pals with peter robbins who worked with bud hopkins for a long time and he basically says you know there was a a lot of the information comes without hypnosis and then the hypnosis just fills in some of the some of the blank spots um where you know the the illusion from the you know like the pop culture view of of this is that 100 percent of these experiences are recalled through hypnosis right well, in some cases, you know, people have no memory. Like the Steve Kilburn abduction, all he had before going under hypnosis was a fear of a certain stretch of road, which is almost nothing to go on. Whereas most people have a memory of a very close-up UFO sighting and a clear indication of missing time or a face-to-face, you know, or memories of uh, actually seeing ETs face-to-face. And uh, in my experience... Anyone who has a close-up UFO sighting has probably been abducted. If that UFO is within, you know, 200 feet of you, 
I'm going to say that there's a very good chance, very, very good chance that uh, it's more than just a simple sighting. Now, now, I'm going to just interrupt here real quick. You told a story of that beautiful, sparkling, golden UFO that you said was within 50 feet of you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're going to trap me into a corner, um, I do think that, to a certain extent, I am in contact with UFOs. Um, but uh, not. I wish I was taken on board. I I'm ready to go. I don't have a whole lot of fear of this, but there's one experience I did have, um, which I'll tell you about, which is probably, if I've ever had contact, the, the closest contact I've ever had, and in which I was, this was during my whole uh, lucid dreaming and out-of-body phase, which where I learned to reach a point of consciousness where I was really physically asleep, but I was awake. And there has been times where I could actually see around me in the room, in almost like a bilocation way, where I'd be walking around my room while I was asleep, right? So it's kind of hard to describe, but uh, I was aware of what was going on me while I was sleeping. And uh, one evening I was in kind of that state of consciousness, having a sort of a lucid dream when I felt something entering, walk, entering my room and walking on my bed. And then I thought, well, you know, that feels like a cat. This feels like a cat walking across my bed, you know, kind of right at the foot of my bed between my legs. I thought, well, that's weird. I don't have a cat. You know, is, is there somebody in my room? So I opened my eyes, and I, I woke up. And damned if I didn't think I see, see something. Um, um, dart out of my room. And I turned and looked, and I thought I saw, you know, actually two figures. Um one the side of my bed and one standing on the bed, very thin, and uh, didn't see them for even a tenth of a second. I mean, this, we're talking something so fast that I didn't actually see it. I just saw movement or thought I saw something. Dart out of, dart out of my room and into my living room and presumably, I don't know where they would go from there, out, out the balcony or uh, wherever. This is a condo on the third floor. And uh, what do I do? I go, oh, huh. And you know, my heart was thumping. I was terrified for just a split second. And I thought, oh, huh, weird. And I turn around and I go back to sleep. Ooh, boy, have I heard that one before. <laughs> right? And I'm like, hey, you know, I've, how many people have interviewed who told me, oh, this alien was in my room and I just didn't even pay attention to it. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Didn't you jump up and run outside and look for the UFO? And I'm like, well, no, for some reason I didn't. And I've always found it hard to understand, but after that, you know, I thought, no, no, I think I might see what they're talking about. There's that alien manipulation there where they're like, all right, he saw us, put him to sleep. And, you know, I'm going to say, Mike, that I can't even say for sure whether that was real experience, but, uh, but something woke me up and something scared me. I'll say at least that much. Now, now it's, it's so interesting. I feel like you and I are on a parallel track in a way. Um, like I'm doing my own little research, which is, you know, whatever. A lot of it is just interesting articles I've gleaned off the web. Um, and then I'm doing these interviews, and I've got like a web or an internet, you know, presence in a way where I'm trying to make sure that this stuff is available for people to search out and find. And um, And I am very cautious to the label I give myself. Um, you know, there are people like I, I, I've told everything to Leo Sprinkle 
and uh, was a big gregarious laughing character and uh and and then I sort of at the end said, "You know and i don't I don't think I've been abducted, and he just slapped his thigh and just let out this big belly laugh like, like <laughs> that was like I can't believe how stupid you are and um so i I don't have the direct experience. So until I do, like the direct memory of like something that would say, oh, okay, okay, that, that's the memory I need, or that's the experience I need. But let me tell you, I am so close to saying it um, at this point, having put all the puzzle pieces together. Uh, you know, there's a few puzzle pieces missing on the board, but I can see what the big picture is. And um, and it's interesting. I feel like you and I are are... are doing very similar things in the sense that you you have a profound output of of books on the subject and books that you've you you earlier in the interview you literally said you felt like they were being channeled like the act of writing was was coming so fluidly that you suspected it was you sensed that it could have been some outside source and i feel like i've had that experience too as i as i have written some of my essays um yeah, so I'm I'm yeah, this has been so great. I've been so this has gone so much better than I thought it would and and I I uh, now I look forward to reading some of your books. Oh, great. Yeah, well. You know, I, like I said I I love the subject. I'm obsessed with it. I don't think I'm an abductee. And I certainly wouldn't call myself that or even a contactee. But I'm going to admit that there's something I do have some sort of relationship with these guys and I do really, really, really feel like they're aware of me. And like I said earlier, um, I will have a sighting if I sort of stop writing, if I get disenchanted, if I get overwhelmed. Um, I feel like I get reminded that uh, I need to get busy with this subject. I have the same set of experiences, yeah. I can, I can, and, and it seems like I've only started doing this in the last... Well, the, the the written stuff and the audio essays and things like that are only three years old. Um, so, uh, and it has, believe me, the um, what was it? What I was experiencing leading up to this was so many synchronicities and so much uh, like anxiety. Like it just felt like I was being forced to step onto this path. Or not forced. Well, that's as good a way as I need to say it's forced, coaxed, you know. Uh, and when I did step on the path, you know, of doing this research, of doing these interviews, of sharing my own set of experiences, um, then I was flooded with these synchronicities, these confirmation synchronicities. You know, it's amazing. It happens constantly to me. I remember one of the most profound, which really led me on this whole path, and I wouldn't be here today, but for this really remarkable coincidence. And I wanted to attend this uh, lecture by Stephen Greer of uh, C-SETI. And he was for- just forming the group C-SETI, which would go out and call down UFOs. But uh, it was pricey, and I couldn't afford it. And I'm like, well, that's too bad, you know. And then the editor of the local newspaper called me up. He had heard about this lecture and wanted me to attend and said he would pay for it if I wrote an article about it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, all right. That's a really remarkable coincidence. I'll go. And I went, and uh, turned out Stephen Greer had taken a couple of my former articles and used it as the basis of some of his cases of how to make contact with the ETs, because I had discovered some witnesses who were able to use lasers to call down UFOs um, using you know, powerful lasers. They were able to initiate UFO sightings, which Stephen Greer was calling you know, a close encounter of the 
this kind, basically human-initiated contact, which is what he was all about. And so was it, that was another profound coincidence. And then I, <laughs> I have strong opinions I, I, about Richard, uh, excuse me, about um, Stephen Greer. And, um, oh, I do too, actually. Yeah, so... And not, not all, in particular, the abduction phenomena, um, which I absolutely disagree with him about. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, I have to say, we went out and we were success, able to successfully call down UFOs over and over again. And uh, that was so profound. And some of the most profound witnesses that I've hooked up with, I've met through that group. And uh, even relationship-wise, um, it played a big part in my life. So that just that one event really turned my life around. And uh, yeah, Stephen Greer, <laughs> I have to mention that since um, I brought him up, because um, uh, I argued with him about this. He's, a, he's of the opinion, I believe, I don't want to put words into his mouth, that uh, many, if not all, of the UFO abduction phenomena are caused by a government mind control type of uh, operation, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. And... Uh, have many, many reasons to disagree with. I do believe the abduction phenomenon is absolutely real and profoundly widespread. And as an example, I'll give a, a case which uh, of a gentleman I talked to who was like, uh, he was 12 years old or 11 years old and doing a paper route. This is in the rural Midwest. And it was early, early in the morning. The sun hadn't even risen. And he was delivering newspapers when he sees a light comes swooping down out of the sky, a star-like light stops right over him, and it's a very large craft, which sucks him up right into it. And the next thing he knows, he's being set down, and it's daytime. And a couple of hours have passed. And he runs home, completely shook up, and uh, as a result of this experience, suffers some sort of a radiation sickness, where he was just deathly ill for the entire summer and uh, couldn't really get out of bed at all. He was so weak. And the doctors could not diagnose him. And this illness, whatever it was, disappeared. Now my question is, are you telling me that this guy was abducted by the military? Some seven-year-old kid, or eight, or whatever his age was, I, I, but he was very young, um, was abducted by the military, and uh, this is a mind control experiment? He never told anybody what happened, that he had missing time. And... Uh, I was the first person he ever, you know, talked to. He did undergo hypnosis at one point, though. Um, so, I, I mean, I wasn't the only researcher. He did go under hypnotic regression and recalled it sort of a typical abduction scenario. But I just find it impossible to believe that this child was picked out like so many others, hundreds, and, you know, thousands, if not millions of people. Um, we're having this experience. I just don't think it's the military. I really, really don't. Yeah, and and I have to agree. Just the just I'll say just the sheer synchronicities that I've experienced related to this phenomena. Um, I mean the, the 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 abduction phenomena. You know, people meeting people. I mean the the military did not orchestrate those synchronicities. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know, another good. Yeah. yeah, and and it's interesting because another thing, on the same sense, I have spoken to a number of people who've attended his, uh, you know, whatever his sessions, um, and have had profound results. And I think that there is um, a strong power in intention and focus 
And, um, you know, there, so, so if a group of people gets together and has an, an, an intention and a focus in a, some laser beams or flashlights or, or whatever, you know, I, I think it could be done with, you know, candles in the middle ages or something like that. And, you know, and, uh, you could, um, you know, it is the intention within the group that brings the, that, that has the potential, let's say, to, to bring, uh, UFOs, you know, so people could watch them. So, um, you know, so he is a flawed character. Let's put it that way. Um, though, you know, there are interesting stories that revolve around this character, Stephen Greer. Right, right. Well, we're, we're all flawed characters, I think, which is why we're sort of here on Earth learning, you know, compassion and humility and wisdom and all the things we're here to learn. Yeah. But, uh, but, hey. Yeah, I, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go on. Um, no, um, I was just going to say, you know, I, I do appreciate the work Stephen Greer has done as far as disclosure as well and uh, trying to end this government cover-up and uh, so I think we're all putting doing our part you know put, doing what, contributing whatever talents we have uh, to make this world a better place you know yeah yeah and um Hey, this has been great. This seems like a good spot to end it. It's been about two hours and 15 minutes we've been going at it, which is longer than I expected. And every little bit was great. I did not ask you one single question about the Coronado Island abduction case, which is on my list here, and I wanted to hear about that. But um, Oh, that's right. Yeah, this is this is a good length for an interview, and, and um, it seems like we've ended it on uh, kind of a... And I actually also wanted to... Here's... I'll just ask you one more question. What... what um, what experiences have you or have you heard reported about owls? Anything? Oh, yeah. Owls seem to be a standard uh, screen memory type thing. And uh, certainly there's one lady I talked to who was driving along with her family, and she's been having profound UFO experiences. And they came upon a set of the four-foot owl in the road. And this was, if this was a screen memory, they could all see it, and it was really there. Cat, you know, had a shadow. It was, but it was absolutely impossibly large. This could not be an owl. It was just too large. So, uh, how do you describe? How do you explain that? Um, and I've had many, many people tell me that they have had uh, experiences with owls as screen memories, which they later believe were ETs. And uh, what they remembered as an owl under hypnosis would later you know, turn out to be an abduction experience. Now, this is interesting because because I've had a lot of owl experiences, um, and I am f- very confident that these experiences are all real owls. And uh, so it almost blends over into almost like a spirit animal thing. And and the times these owls have shown up has been like just nutty and coincidence, you know, like the intensity of it. Uh, you know, if anyone who's listened to these podcasts before doesn't need to hear me go on and on about, you know, some of my owl stories. But, um, you know, so I think that, and actually Rosemary Ellen Guiley, in her interview, I asked her the question, and she um, shared some experiences that match much more closely my experiences, where she says, you know, oh, like on the way to a, you know, uh, like an important bit of research, you know, like, you know, like we're going to, to research something and at that site there's an experience like you know whether she's whatever she's researching i can't remember the exact content uh, but she said you know you know like on the way you know there would be an owl in the tree you know like watching us as we got out of the car um so those are the kind of experiences i've had where owls show up at very uh synchronistic points so like the owl experience has is much more of a synchronicity rather than a 
like you know, like a hidden abduction right. account. I did have something very much like that, but slightly different. I had just been profoundly betrayed by somebody, just really, really let down, and just so disappointed. And I was just beside myself, and uh, was standing at my doorway, um, to my balcony, and just lamenting <laughs> in a really, you know, profound way when this red-tailed hawk came down and landed right next to me. And, uh, which, I mean, <laughs> I can't even believe it happened to this day. Because it was just so profound. And it was a really profound spiritual experience for me. And uh, what I found was amazing was all my anger and all my just sense of betrayal completely lifted. Instantly, as I looked into this you know, bird, its eyes, and it was only two feet, maybe three feet away from me. Wow, that is interesting. Oh my gosh, that's very close. Yeah, it was right. I mean, it came down and landed next to me, which just doesn't happen. And uh, so uh, I'm like, whoa. And I just had the feeling that this was a spiritual messenger saying, you know, get over it. This is, you know, meant to happen. This was a sense of betrayal, but let it go. Let it go. And uh, I did. And I, and I had no problems with it afterwards at all. Oh, see, this is the, so. This is very similar to the experiences I've had with owls, and uh, um, yeah. So the, that kind of like you'd kind of have to search, like, what is the message here? And um, yeah, so in yeah, that's that's is fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. I can't explain it. Hey, I want to thank you so much. Um, I will uh, put a link to all your books and your website and your um, contact information through your website and such like, and uh, uh, on the show notes. And I've enjoyed this immensely, and we should do it again. I would love to follow up uh, on the Coronado Island case as well as um, your uh, experiences with outer body ex- travel. Oh, yeah. I could talk for hours on both of those subjects. Great. Yeah, we might. Yeah, uh, I could foresee much. that happening soon. Right. Yeah, well, thanks very much. I really enjoyed uh, it all as well, and I uh, really want to thank you for the opportunity. Good. Here's a question: How did how did um did did how did this compare to other interviews? I mean, as far as like the depth of what we what we covered. Oh, I uh, much better than usual. Good, you know, good. I, that I, was I, my I hope. I, 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 good. And, you know, you, you allow me to speak, and I'm able to get you know these long uh, points out, and uh, able to cover a number of different subjects, and just the length itself, and the, your laid back attitude and sort of free flowing style. I really appreciate as well, because uh, often you know interviews are very structured. Good, and that's part of the reason I commercial. That's part of the reason I asked this because I haven't read your books. I've only listened to some of your interviews, and um, you know you just you had said you had been doing this research for what is it twenty five years now, or right. more I guess, and and uh, or right around there. And then um, you know just the fact that you had been doing it that long. And I'd heard these interviews, and I, and, you know, like, I was like, wow, you know, like, there's, you know, some of the interviews were short, and, and I was like, oh, there's not that much, he's got to have more in there, you know, like, I just, if anyone who's researched the subject for this long has got to have some more, you know, info than what he just, you know, than what this interviewer just pulled out of him, so um, that was kind of my goal as I went into this, is to uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we, both you and I dug deep as far as, is how we, we, we looked at the subject. Yeah, yeah. I had a great time, and I, I thought we were able to, you know, get pretty far. Great. Great. Well, let's talk again soon sometime. All right. Anytime. Thanks, now. And uh, once again, uh, I, I enjoyed this greatly, and, and um, 
and I look forward to doing it again. Yeah, me too. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Bye. Oh, that was great. This is Mike, and I am chiming in at the end of this interview with Preston Dennett. This went so much differently than I expected. Uh, I did not expect that we would dig as deep as we did into some of these subjects. Um, I had not read any of Preston's books, which I um, said a few times during the interview, and um, I didn't realize he had written a book on outer body experiences, which surprised me and fascinated me. And uh, I kind of wanted to follow that thread, but I decided to just stick to the content of the um, abduction phenomena. Now, a few things. Uh, One, I did at the end uh, ask him uh, how this interview went compared to other interviews. And and I asked him that on purpose because the other interviews that I had found online with him were a little bit um, simplistic. It felt like uh, the interviewer wasn't asking very good questions in a way that would uh, dig very deep. So I, I just was excited that we got as deep as we did into these subjects, and, and that was the reason I asked that question. Also, um, you know, it's really funny. I, I don't really consider myself a very good interviewer, and one of the hardest things to do is to end an interview there is a sort of awkward kind of thing where you say, hey, thanks, that was great, and the other person says, well, you're welcome, and then, it's, and, then uh, and, and sometimes that, that goes on for a little while, and I never quite know how to handle that. Um, usually what I do is I edit it out and just clean it up so we sound super succinct, and we just get right to the point, and we say goodbye now, and then click, the, the conversation's over. This was a little more human in the sense that we touched on a few other subjects as we were getting ready to say goodbye. If you refer to the show notes, uh, you will easily get connected through the internet to some of Preston's uh, other interviews, as well as his website, and I will put a link to his Amazon page, which has a long list of his books. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.